Turkey hunting is one of my favorite things. And one of the key tools I use for turkey hunting is the Onyx Hunt Map. I use it incessantly when I'm hunting turkeys. Being able to find a new piece of public or gaining permission on private opens up opportunities for gobblers. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you this spring. Use the code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt. You'll find more birds this season. I'm telling you, I rely on Onyx Hunt when I'm hunting turkeys. It is an invaluable turkey hunting tool. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without your essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting in to go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on and having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. Telling you what, Decked is a game changer. Decked has completely changed how I load, organize my truck. All my stuff that I want is always in there, out of my way, and secure. It's perfect. If you own a pickup truck that you use, you know, like a truck, the decked drawer system gives you weatherproof storage for all your gear. You can lock it up, too. You keep your tools and gear organized, job site or out in the field. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. Go to decked.com slash meat eater Get yourself some free shipping. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Presented by First Light creating proven, versatile hunting apparel from merino base layers to technical outerwear for every hunt. First light. Go farther, stay longer. All right, everybody, we got a lot. We got a lot we got to cover. Uh, the first thing I got to cover is the most important part. I, You know what I saw this morning that I haven't seen forever is I was driving my boy to school and I saw a woman doing her makeup at the stoplight. <laughs> oh, man. But listen, I always root. I That's... I always root for that woman. Why? Because she's like got a lot of stuff she's got to do. She's like trying to get somewhere. I don't know. Like if I see a person with a little white yappy dog on their lap, I root against them. <laughs> I was like, ah, maybe I just root against them. Yeah, but if I see a woman doing her makeup at the stoplight, I'm root. I'm like, yeah. But isn't it the same kind of woman with the little yappy no, dog and no, the makeup at the stoplight? It's a woman no? just like I just feel for. Her. I'm like, man, it's probably whatever. She's got to get somewhere. Didn't have time. Living the American dream. I don't know. I just was like, kind of wanted to give her a, but she would have taken it the wrong way. (laughs) (laughs) If I'd have given her a fist fist pump, she'd have been like, she would have given me the finger. (laughs) Yeah. She was working on her makeup because she was out training her bird dogs earlier. Right. Absolutely. I didn't say a bird dog. I said a little, one of those little white yappy dogs. You missed it. Cal and I was on the same page. I think we might be anti-makeup slightly. Listen, I don't like have no need, strong you know? feelings for makeup either way. I'm just saying, I just w- wind up rooting for him. Like, like, hey, I hope you get there in time. <laughs> you know what's fascinating <laughs> like, about like the, to an interview. I don't the know. products industry is that uh, uh, sperm whale snot that they. That's the super valuable. Yeah, what's ambergris. that stuff called? 
Ambergris. Yeah. yeah. Really? That's a thing now? Oh, yeah. I always that. has been. Ambergris really? Key. There's, uh, a whole, there's a whole book about that stuff. Ambergris Key in Belize. Yeah. I never I've found a there. wad of That's it. That's where they get. Yeah. Well, you find a wad of it on the beach. It turns into like some kind of rock after a while. Mm-hmm. Am so I right, Kevin? Big, big mm-hmm. business. The, the stuff. Long, lamp oil, right? No, the no, ambergris no, 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 is no, no, the no, no, base. No, no. That's different. Yeah, is this stuff is is the the base for all sorts of perfumes and right. scents and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Beaver yeah. caster goes into perfumes. Yeah, we've covered that a thousand times. Yep. Uh, yeah, the oil, the sperm oil. He had like his really valuable oil was up in his up in his noggin. Yeah, and this stuff. That, I'd like to get in that business, man. The theory is the is like all the capsulated uh, like uh, squid beaks and stuff like that that they that they can't pass but can't digest either. That's what kind of forms around that stuff, the ambergris is. And then eventually they hawk that thing up and it's this floating mat. Floating whale loogie. Floating whale what loogie. I sound, mm-hmm. sound effect. Full sounds, of squid sound, beaks. I, I, I've seen it a few times. It sounds like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That sounds accurate. <laughs> Grandpa? Um, and then the sun. It actually sounds exactly like that. Ferments that stuff as it's floating. In the salt water, and it's and it's the it's got to spend some time in the sun outside of the whale to really get the high quality product. But seriously, yeah, it and can any kind of whale throw one up, or is it any kind of whale a tooth, can throw a tooth one whale? Because th- he's eating squid beaks. Because he's eating more squid beaks. Yeah. And stuff. Huh. yeah. Yeah, Damn, man, that's really interesting. Super interesting. I love it. And then ladies pay to put that on their faces. Bringing mm-hmm. it all back to the lady in the car. Yep. You think exactly. they test that in a rabbit's eyeballs first? It, well, yeah, if they're out of dogs. Well. Yeah. Uh, out of capuchin l- monkeys and dogs. That would have been a, um, being a whaler, man, it would have been an interesting business. They'd take off out of the East Coast, you know, all those famous whaling towns. Yeah, the, the widow's walks on the rooftops. Drive, not drive, sail. <laughs> <laughs> Think about this. You sail down around the tip of South America. They'd come up. They'd, they'd leave in the fall, do all that, whale in the winter in the South Pacific, drop all the oil and uh, baleen in Hawaii, go whale the North Pacific, Get frozen, eat each other, and everything. Get a ride on another boat, and you come back. You'd be gone two years. Can you imagine what their range, their perspective on the word "comfortable"? Oh, was yeah. Like if, when you're on some three-hour flight, and you're like, ah, <laughs> exactly. Oh, ah. like my this guy ass put, can't this take This guy keeps putting his elbow on my armrest. <laughs> See, won't go back far enough. <laughs> also, we can stick some makeup on, eh? I yeah. wear my makeup in the weekend, so I'm forgiven. Yes. <laughs> uh, that, ladies and gentlemen, this is a... Uh, so here's the thing. We have for years, we have for years, uh, not dogged on Europe, but uh, we have for years uh, taken a very naive... Cynical? No. How, uh, what's the way to put it? Shallow. Ignorant? <laughs> sure. <laughs> 
American. Yeah. A very American perspective on what hunting in Europe was like. And we, have, and we have just said, like, the European model, right? Even though you're talking about, Rob, how many countries you guys got over there? Oh, crikey, I couldn't tell you. You don't even know. Yeah. No. So many countries, you can't count the them all. But it's like, it's like the States. It's like I consider the States 50 different countries. Yeah. It's just sure. you share the same language. We just don't. But uh, well, yeah, we have 50 different sets of hunting rules. Yeah. Yeah. way different methodologies and systems. And it'll be exactly the same if you compared France with Denmark or Sweden or, you know, they're all going to have different rules and regs and different etiquettes, different ways of doing things for sure. So we have uh, and been called out on this a number of times for being like, you guys sound like a bunch of idiots when you talk about Europe. So we have committed ourselves. Corinne's been working her ass off. Well, I'm not going to help on that one. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> We've committed ourselves that we're going to give our listeners a, 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 an extended, like this is just the first installment. This yeah. is just to kick things off. We're going to start a thing called the Euro Report, where we explore quickly and efficiently and give you a crash course on hunting in European countries. And they'll probably take it around the world. We're going to start with Europe. And we're just starting out, Rob, so we don't need actual facts out of you. We just need somebody with the accent. <laughs> that yeah. helps. Because <laughs> just that one. in and of itself yeah. lends legitimacy, yeah. man. Yeah. yeah, if you want an expert, find somebody else. No, I can give you a flavor for sure. Yeah, that's what we're looking for. Yeah. Just right now, yeah. flavor. This is a little starter pack. Uh, Pete, you're here, right? <laughs> Pete Alonzo. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, you still playing first base, Pete? Uh, yes, I am. Okay, first baseman from the New York Mets. Uh, is joining us, and he comes on. He's our sport. He's our resident sports analyst. Uh, most recently, <laughs> Pete came on to explain his feelings about when Pete has suggested they stop calling the bullpen the bullpen, and and Pete uh, analyzed that for us. Yeah, I mean, that I, again, that's it's that's a head scratcher to me. Okay, now uh, real quick, you got hit in the face real bad the other day. How was that? Yeah, so. Uh, been playing well. I mean, honestly, it was like, uh, it was like a really strong cup of coffee. I, like I was super alert <laughs> and awake right after. Um, but it was, I mean, it was, it sucked. Not going to lie. Um, yeah, my lip is, uh, split open and, oh. uh, yeah, yeah, it's split, no stitches, but it, it's kind of, it's healing decently well. Uh, it's, it makes it kind of difficult to kiss my wife, but that's okay. I, but other than that, that's that's all good. Lay off the spicy foods for a while. Was that with the ball? Yeah, no salt. You got hit no by, yeah, the pitcher hit him. Oh. So, Pete, yeah. how do you decide, how does, not you, but how does a batter decide whether he, when he gets hit, how does he make the call whether he's going to run out and beat the pitcher or not? So, I wanted, I wanted to so bad. Um, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of circumstances when it comes to a go out there so <laughs> the next night okay so the next night our um our shortstop got hit in the mouth uh, we had two guys get hit in the mouth in two days and we and he had a couple teeth cracked Ooh, and wow. and we and we cleared benches no no punches were thrown but you gotta i mean sometimes like you have to let the other team or let the the other pitcher know that hey what you like you're throwing up. I mean, I'm not saying it's like a, a deadly weapon, but you could seriously hurt some people. Like guys are throwing 98, 99 miles an hour. And if you catch someone in the wrong place in the head, that's, that's, that's a broken jaw. That's a broken nose. Like it's, I'm not saying it's, it's like hockey by any means, but guys can get pretty seriously hurt. And 
Boy, you just won over a lot of hockey fans right there, Pete. <laughs> if you got some bullshit that happens, you gotta you gotta stand up for your teammates and yourself. And how sure are we like these guys have really good aim and accuracy, so you kind of determine it's like on purpose. I mean, you can just tell because no one just misses that bad. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's what that was going to be my ne- that was going to be my next question. So you, like, he's playing with he's like trying to spook you a little bit, and then maybe spooked you a little too much. Well, I mean, it's not more of like a a spook thing. It's more it's it's kind of like a ego gameplay mind game thing. It's like you're going to back off the dish. This is my zone. This is my plate. Um and and. Pretty much, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of subtleties to the game of baseball where it's busted inside. He's like saying he's pretty much telling you to like, listen, this is my zone, this is my part of the dish. You are not going to get your hands extended and take and and do anything. The worst you're going to do if you make contact, you're going to break your bat and look like an idiot. So, I mean, that's if a pitcher's throwing inside, that's that's the what he's trying to convey to the hitter. But also, if you get a guy hitting people, that's just lack of care. That's just like that, – it's honestly just disrespect, not just to you as a hitter, but you're, um, to the entire team, especially if you're hitting multiple guys in multiple days. Uh, and then when this happens – this isn't what we called you about, Pete, but I'm just curious. When that happens, um, uh, you probably know the guy though, right? Like you probably like – maybe not friends yeah. with him, but you definitely know who he is. I mean, people think that it's funny in sports, like people think that like we're a bunch of strangers that like hate each other off the field, like if it's a rivalry. But in reality, if, if it's a highly contested game, whoever wins or loses, that's great. But you, we've played against each other pretty much our entire lives, whether it be in high school and college in the minor leagues and, and in various uh, various years in professional baseball. And and even in the big leagues, it's like I've gotten to know some guys I've played against. I've become really, really close friends with uh, certain guys I play against and and played with. So more of a community. And and you would like to think that um, through that through those experiences together, you just kind of learn to appreciate what what each other does. And and you respect each other as an opponent, as opposed to like have anything malicious or like any like fuck you to it. Mm hmm. If you acted like the bat slipped out of your hands and flew out there at him, that doesn't probably go over real well, does it? Oh no, I'm I'm probably I'm probably the catcher's probably getting getting right in my face and we're probably gonna clear because no no one throws their bat. <laughs> Got it. Okay, here's what I will call you to ask about. Most it seems like most of our listeners are uh uh they chew, they dip. Mm-hmm. And I was astonished the other day. So we like to cover dip a little bit. It's kind of the only area where we stray outside of our uh home territory. Right. Someone told me the other day that you guys aren't allowed to dip on, um, like you can't uh, you can't pack a dip playing baseball anymore. Yeah, you can. Oh, who the hell told me that? Someone told me you're not supposed to be out there spitting. So I heard that because I got my Corinne got my kids a couple bags of big league chew, which went <laughs> over real well. And someone <laughs> told me that in the major leagues now they mix their <laughs> that there actually is. I was wondering why they still even make big league chew, and someone told me that. That you guys mix your dip with big league chew and chew it. Okay, uh-huh. so okay, Is that so true? they're 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 half right and half wrong. So okay. so there's different rules in place. There's there are dip police, um, not just in the big leagues, but in the minor leagues as well. 
in the minor leagues, if you get caught with um, with dip in your locker, it's it's a fu- you get fined. So you have to put it away. But so in the big the leagues, oh, hold on one second. Our, our guest, he's from Europe, so he, like he knows nothing about baseball. Go ahead, Robert. <laughs> what, the, what, the, what the bloody hell's dip? I've no oh, idea. It's, it's chewing tobacco. It's chewing, chewing, oh, chewing tobacco. Right, okay. That's for you, European. They do that in Europe. <laughs> Is dip, dip a big thing in Europe? It, no, never heard of it. <laughs> no, yeah, but you no, guys oh, tobacco. They chew tobacco. But yeah, and you guys over yeah. where you live, everybody snorts it up their nose. We smoke fags. Yeah. Cigarettes, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And is a thing. We right? share the same language. We just use it in a different way. Yeah, the same yeah. words just apply yeah. different yeah. areas. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Pete. Sorry. But also, you have different types of you have different types of of tobacco. You have the dip, which is like uh, the super fine that you get in like a round tin can. Yeah. And then also you have the chew, um, the chew, chew. like typical typical chew. It's it's like red man. It's like the the whole leaf. Um, I, I used to, but I, I quit in college. I would, I would do, I would, I would throw in a, throw in a lip or throw in a wad and, and have an extra large Dunkin' coffee and then knock out my papers. That's what I would do. Gotcha. Um, but but, I mean, it's a nasty habit. I don't do it. I quit. Um, I quit chewing tobacco because I've seen a ton of people, uh, have a ton of different health issues. Like, I know some kids, like some kids like my age that have had like gum grafts and stuff like that. It's not, it's not pretty stuff. I'm very against it, but the rules in the big leagues are a lot different than in the minor, minor leagues. It's a lot more strict. Like guys play with like pretty much big fat rocks in their mouth, like just huge wads of whatever. And then it's, and then it's, it, it doesn't change. The only thing that you're not, that's different is you're not allowed to have like a can or a pouch in your pocket while you're playing, or you're not allowed to dip while you have an interview going on. <laughs> Keeping it, but pro. really like nothing. So changed. they don't want Once, the can. They don't want you playing, showing that little tin. Correct. Or the pouch. But if you mix chew, so chew and dip are different for people who aren't necessarily experts. So chew, it has like this, like cinnamony, like honey type to bat leathery flavor. So if you yep. were to mix that with gum, so a lot of people, what they do uh, to kind of savor it and make it last longer. And also like for people that have been doing it a long time, they actually chew, chew like bubble gum. So what some people do to hide it. They mix it with bubble gum. Like they mix a big wad of chewing tobacco and then put it inside the bubble gum. Like they wrap it in, in the bubble. Oh yeah. Gum. What do you guys call that? You got a good name for it? People that dip, chew, or whatever, they always have great names for everything. I don't know. That's just how it's people like a blunt. take it. It's like a blunt. It's like a tobacco blunt. This is a good <laughs> reminder to everybody that there's a lot of people under the age of 20 in the major leagues, correct? Yeah. Like, yeah, the youngsters. Pe- Not really. I mean, it's, it's, it's a... <laughs> well, okay, it's a ra- it's, there's it's a do you know anybody around the age of 40 that's... Mixing bubble gum with chew. Yes. Really? Yes. Man, he, Pete's putting Cal in his place. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna be naming names or, or pointing fingers, but I mean, there are people that do that. If you want a big wad, like if you want to have like a, like pretty much like a rock size, like a nice skipping rock size, like wad of tobacco, you mix it with the gum and then you chew it pretty much all game. And if you're not getting any hits, or if the team's not doing well, you 
you get a new wad you, and then you start you start over. Change your luck. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe yeah. you should try that one. Do time. they use big league <laughs> chew though? I mean, we are a hubba bubba team, but other teams <laughs> chew. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> All right, Pete. This is, we're gonna. You got a game? Today's today? actually an off day. I thought I had a game today, but I'm 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 here. If you guys, I'm here to. If you got any more questions, um, if you got. Oh, also, there's this thing that the the Dominicans do. It's called picaduro. It's like they put like Kahlua, cinnamon, sugar, baking like baking soda or baking powder, powder, and then rum. And then what they do, they mix it in the chewing tobacco, and then they bury oh. it, and they let it marinate. And it's basically like... Got to ferment. Bury yeah, it where? Like out under the plate? No, they, like, oh. I don't know where, but they like, bury yeah, it underground. Yeah, a little stash at all while. the different stadiums. That sounds yeah, tasty. I mean, and then they, and then they <laughs> gnaw on that. And then uh, that's, I mean, that's honestly like, like going on a, on a space shuttle, like if you were to have that. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if uh, Jared Atlaw has tried that before. Well, Pete, see, Pete's, Pete's apparently he's anti-tobacco, so I was hoping Jared Outlaw is listening right now. <laughs> He'd have to retort. <laughs> He'd come and well, tell you how healthy it is. <laughs> oh, I mean, some people say they don't get sick from it, but, I, I mean, again, like, I, I don't know. Like, but it's it's for me, it's not, I'm not, I'm just I'm just telling you guys what, what people do, you know? I mean, there's not different names, ones. Like no, no, from no, the that's, that's why we're yeah. that's why we're professional coming for you. Analyst here. That's why we're yeah, coming yeah. for you, man. That's like a good analyst. You're not you're trying to advance the ball, dude. You're not trying to push an agenda, man. No, exactly. I mean, I don't do it. I again, like it's 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 a nasty habit, and I've seen some guys like have some serious serious like health issues because of it. And also, like it's it's extremely sad because there's some incredible greats in our in our game of baseball that passed away from whether it be throat cancer, gum cancer, lung cancer due to chewing tobacco. So um, it, it's it's sad, you know, when you see guys like pass on like in their 40s and 50s from it. So it's it's upsetting, but and I hope that people quit it and just for the just for their family's sake. You've been uh you've been getting out on the water, Pete, fishing? In the season, no, but I had a really good, really good time like chasing after some redfish and, and some snook. So it was really good, really, really good time. And also I got my uh uh my fishing trip up on the TRCP uh website. Uh anybody can go bid on that uh for a trip to to go out with me on the water. So if Steve, you can bid on it if you if you want to come down. I should bid on that, and that's but that's coming right up. I think it's the fifth of. Oh yeah, so you better haul ass if you're going to bid on that. I might go bid on it, Pete. I'd like to go fishing with you. All right, we're going to let you go, ladies and gentlemen. That's America's baseball player, Pete Alonzo. All right, thank you so much, guys. America's baseball player. We're going to go talk to some stupid lawyer now, Pete. So (laughs) from baseball to NPR, the Pete Alonzo. All right, sounds good. Thank you guys a lot, man. Hit 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 one real far, Pete. You got it. All right. All right. Bye. Spring is a great time to do something with your family. Do some spring cleaning, which I kind of started today outside. Planning outdoor activities, which I'm always doing. Taking a little trip to Hawaii with your kids for spring break, which I just did, which was great. You know what else you can do for your family this spring? You can shop for life insurance with Policy Genius. Make that part of your financial planning for the year. 
I've said it before a, a thousand times. I'll say it again. When my wife and I, when we started having kids, we got serious about life insurance. And man, I felt so much better after we did. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just 292 bucks per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Even if you already have a life insurance policy through work, it may not offer enough protection for your family's needs, and it may not follow you if you leave your job. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. The single most valuable tool I have for chasing turkeys next to my scatter gun is the Onyx Hunt app. If I'm hunting turkeys, I'm using Onyx. If I'm not hunting turkeys, I'm using Onyx. I'm always using Onyx. I live by that stuff. I can't tell you the number of birds this app has put me on by allowing me to easily find new areas to hunt. It's invaluable. I use it all the time. Even properties I know super well. And I'm at my buddy Bubbly Doug's house. I'm using Onyx, and I've hunted this place a million times. With their compass mode, I can pinpoint exactly on the map where a gobble rang out from and then figure out the perfect spot to set up. Meaning, if I'm sitting there, let's say I'm at Bubbly Doug's, I'm in the navel, and I hear, pow, I'll like instinctively pull up Bubbly Doug's place on, on X, and I'll look at the topography, and I'll be like, oh, that sucker must be over in that little opening over there. Waypoints also, and the ability to share them, okay? comes in handy every spring whether that's revisiting old waypoints where i've been on birds before or sharing them to buddies to help put them on birds this app will help you find more turkeys on x hunt has a special offer for you too use code meat eater to receive 20 percent off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt this turkey season Get incredible deals on premium cuts from ButcherBox. Do you like free protein for a whole year? Well, deals this good are hard to come by at the grocery store. I, at home, well, I got two freezers, but you know what I'm saying. I like to have a freezer stocked full of stuff. I like feeling prepared, man. When I come home and it's time to make dinner, I like to go in. I got all my proteins lined up in there. Just makes me feel good about stuff. And with ButcherBox, you'll always be prepared with meat in the freezer. It means fewer trips to the grocery store. Delivered right to your doorstep with free shipping always. You get a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing value. You'll get exclusive deals as a member, too. Sign up at ButcherBox.com slash eater and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free. And every order for a year. So every box you get has that in it free for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash meat eater. Make sure you use code meat eater to choose your free for a year offer plus $20 off your first order. All right, folks, now we're going to turn it over to a conversation with our legal analyst, uh, Dave Wilms. Dave Wilms, uh, introduce yourself real quick and tell people what you do now like what you do now for a living. But but talk about how you haven't been disbarred or anything. I have not been disbarred. Yeah, th- thanks, Steve, for, for putting that right so I just want people front. to know that our legal analyst, like, even though he's not being a lawyer at the moment, he's a lawyer. He's a legal analyst. That's that, I'm, Once you're a lawyer, you're always a lawyer. Oh, okay, good, good, right. good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I, yeah, now I work for the uh, National Wildlife Federation, um, working on 
public lands uh, issues and wildlife issues. And um, but before I, I was a practicing attorney for uh, more than a decade and worked in wildlife law areas and represented state agencies and uh, in private practice uh, as well. So um, is that? that enough background for you? Oh, no, that makes you seem like extremely credentialed. And you've been on the show I don't know how many times, so people know who you are. Uh, here's what we got to talk to Dave about. And you, I'm going to set it up on a very – I'm, I'm going to set it up very high level, and then, and, then, and then David Wilms will get into the details. But – and if, I, if the setup is, is flawed, Dave, just go ahead and correct me on this. But everybody knows, everybody knows that um, a police officer – like a regular police officer can't just come snooping around your shed and walking around your property. He needs to have probable cause. He needs to get a, um, you know, they want, need to go get a search warrant, right? Or they're like actually chasing somebody or something. But just to go do a search on a hunch or whatever, they have to get a search warrant to go on it. But everybody also knows that you could be sitting out in a deer stand on private property and a game warden can decide just to have a mosey over and see what's going on. They have, uh, what was it? Uh, open field doctrine for wildlife law enforcement. But Tennessee just had the open, they had a court case where the open field doctrine was declared unconstitutional, which would mean that a game warden to go check a private property hunter would need to get a search warrant, which I'm guessing, and Dave can clarify, I'm guessing this was have this must have like huge ramifications for wildlife law enforcement. Uh is am I overstating that or is that correct? Well, can I step you back just a, a minute? Because I I don't all actually the way, all the way back. All Dave. the way? Okay, perfect. Whatever so you need to I do. Don't, I don't think the case actually says uh that the open fields doctrine is unconstitutional. Okay. What, what this case was doing was uh, there were a couple of landowners that were challenging the constitutionality of a state statute. That state statute authorized uh, law enforcement game wardens uh, to uh, enter property. And I think the exact words are go upon any property outside of buildings posted or otherwise in performance of the executive director's duties. And so the, the open fields doctrine, like you correctly noted, right? It, it is basically this concept that is built in us Supreme court law and affirmed by a bunch of state Supreme courts around the country as well says, if you are outside of the, the main home and and uh, and the curtilage, the area around that home where you have a, a reasonable expectation of privacy, that outside of there, it's it's open fields and you're not protected by the Fourth Amendment against uh, illegal search and seizure. <clears throat> so, this state statute that said, well, anywhere except buildings, you can you can search. You know, it was. The, the idea was the, the, the plaintiffs in this case, the landowners were saying, well, that's an unconstitutional uh, ap- application of the op- open fields doctrine because there are going to be some places outside of these buildings where you cannot search. Um, and so that, that, I mean, that was sort of the premise. So I don't actually think the open fields doctrine 
it was viewed as unconstitutional, but, but what it does here in Tennessee, at least at the, at this level, there's still appeals that could occur, right? Is it appears to me anyway, that, you know, if you've, if you've posted your property and you've, you've made uh, reasonable expectations uh, to put people on notice that, that you don't want anybody there and it's, it's private property and you're exercising that and you're using that property that, yeah, you, you have to have permission or a warrant to enter those places. But it also uh, says there are certainly places that are wild or unoccupied. Uh, what, I think it's wild or wastelands, or, or there might have been some other language there that the court was citing to, that, that fall, still fall outside of the purview of the Fourth Amendment, or the, in this instance, the, the Tennessee uh, version of the Fourth Amendment against uh, illegal search and seizure. That makes sense. Yeah, but what? <laughs> so, but why are if what makes people in Tennessee up in arms about this? You know, I, I mean, like put yourself in the ward, like put yourself in the warden's uh, mind frame. Yeah, sure. So, I, my, I, I suspect, right? That, and this is this is a lot of. Uh, I'm going to use suspect. I I would assume you know, that sort of thing because I don't I don't know specifically. I haven't talked to a specific warden here about it. But um, before this, you had a statute that said they could basically go anywhere to enforce the state game laws, and now you have a case that greatly restricts the places that they might be able to uh, to go without a warrant um, or without landowner permission to enforce those state game laws. And so I think there's. Um, I've seen the argument in other places. Uh, you know, Tennessee's not unique. There are other states that uh, have restricted, have have more um, have more expansive views of the Fourth Amendment rights. It extends to, to farther to more lands uh, than other places, right? Then, so so you have the the federal government that has you know, that has this U.S. Supreme Court case, you know, dating back to the 1920s, right? Uh, this Hester case that set up the, the uh, open fields doctrine, but then you have state constitutions that also have fourth amendment search and seizures. And, and so uh, states are, are able to interpret that law, you know, their own constitutions, and they can be more restrictive than the, the U S constitution. And so you have a number of states that have done this. Tennessee's not unique here, but I have seen the arguments uh, pop up. There's, you know, there's uh, I've seen people, wardens are afraid, um, you know what? What if they, for example, see an animal that's wounded and want to humanely dispatch that? Do they have to first get permission, or can they enter this open field and and uh, dispatch a wounded animal? They might not be able to without permission. You know, depending on how the how this open fields doctrine is defined. Um, and then also, I've heard the argument of you know wardens are charged with protecting and conserving a public trust resource, being wildlife, and they need the ability to quickly access areas and to check hunters, um, and that wildlife don't respect private property boundaries. And the agency is charged with managing all wildlife and needs to be able to to do that. Right? And this would create a limitation of being able to do that. And I've also heard it could uh, there's concerns that it could send incentivize bad actors. You know, meaning. Uh, if if you know that a warden no longer can use what they thought the open field doctrine allowed, and it's now much more narrow, narrowly defined, that there might be a lot of places now where uh, the risk of poaching goes up. Right? Oh, and, I would have to think that, that would be like a huge, 
That would have to enter people's mind. Oh, yeah. Hey, Dave, this is Brody. I got a question for you about, like, how it used to be versus how it's going to be now. Like, let's say a game warden's parked on a country road, and there's a dude off on in a tree stand. Um, Game warden hears a bunch of shooting and then sees a guy dragging what appears to be a doe during buck season, like, and it's private property. Uh, like now can that warden go check that guy out in Tennessee? Yeah. Yeah. So, and let me be clear. I'm not licensed in Tennessee, so I'm not trying to interpret Tennessee law here. Uh, and this is just sort of a, uh, you know, one guy's opinion of the the situation, but the, the facts that you described in, in a lot of places, if, if you see something from a public road, there's no expectation of privacy. First of all, so you witness a crime being committed on private land from public a public road, uh, that law enforcement officer can respond to that uh, criminal activity as it's occurring. You know, you're you you see it happen, you can respond. Um, but I, if he I just got, got but if he just got a call from like one of the neighbors, he couldn't just go check it out. And so this is a this is where it's one of those. It depends. You know, yeah. it depends on what that land is. Is it, would it qualify as this wild or wastelands under, uh, under the Tennessee law? Uh, I don't know. It's it, so the point being, this is going to be so circumstance specific. If this case holds like, like right now it's at a circuit court, it can still go to an appellate court. It can still go to the state Supreme court. If this decision holds, I think a lot of, uh, the, the hypotheticals are really going to be circumstance specific. Right. So the facts um, are, if, you, if you're struggling with this, how does the guy on the ground cope with it? Right. I mean, we're having an adult conversation here, aren't we, about these, and they're so gray. It yes. sounds really alien to me. The, uh, the, the bummer of this is all these cases where, where this has been challenged, um, the, the examples that come forward are all examples in which criminal activity was taking place. Oh, yeah. It's people trying to get out of tickets they got. Yes. And so there's not a lot of empathy for, uh, you know, being defensive of private property laws when there's a crime taking place. So I, I've got tons and tons of emails and, and messages and stuff regarding this. And, you know, it kind of puts you in that whole, like, have versus have not type of mindset. Of like, yeah, screw those guys. They were, they were poaching or baiting or whatever. And it's hard to see, like, <clears throat> the appropriate amount of uh, defense of private property, I guess is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Montana had changed its approach based off of a, a similar circumstance. Guy guy poached an elk, um, had it hanging up on private property. The warden went past no trespassing signs, not specifically to investigate a crime, but was just going to uh, talk to the landowner and happened to notice a bull elk hanging off the meat pole. Um so there was that expectation of privacy. There were, there were no trespassing signs. Guy wasn't, uh, tech, I think, like in the act of investigating. Mm-hmm. But there's the evidence right there. And the workaround 
from everybody who's been emailing me is like, well, can't the county judge just get better and more efficient at issuing search warrants? Is that a possibility, Dave? You know, I, I don't, I'm not one to, to critique how judges issue search warrants. I, I've seen them, you know, search warrants can issue, be issued pretty quickly. You, you do have to still have uh, probable cause that, that something occurred, right? And you have to uh, be able to, you, you, we really in this country, and I think rightfully so, protect personal liberties. And it's not necessarily just about private property, but it's about personal liberty and um, a, a right to not be subjected to an unlawful search or seizure of property. I mean, it's, it's a found, it's the fourth amendment. It's a foundational amendment. It's in every single state constitution as well. And um, so it's a pretty, when it's a, when it's something like that, it's a very high bar, um, you know, to, 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 uh, to violate that. So, or not violate that, but to show that there's a, a, a state interest to, um, to conduct that search or seizure. So I, I, you know, I look at a a judge and and they take their responsibility so seriously and they're not going to just give a blanket warrant. There needs to be something there. So to say we need to speed up a process or something, I mean, that's, I'm a little reluctant to go down that road um, just because I, you know, I think feel pretty strongly personally about, uh, you know, some of the, the personal liberties spelled out in the constitution and, and doing everything we can with the judicial system to protect those. And sometimes it creates these, these situations you describe where you have um, people that have probably committed a crime that wind up getting away with it because the evidence was collected in violation of their constitutional rights. And that's, that's the system we operate under. And I think it mostly works. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, yeah, you pose that question, but I, I would personally be, yeah, you know, I, I think I think our judges do and county prosecutors do a pretty darn good job of of uh, turning around warrant requests. Um, there, there probably are exceptions to that where it could be improved, um, but they're usually pretty good about it. So, Dave, in a in a nutshell, here you're not you don't see this and you're not thinking, oh, there goes the there goes the country. Well, I mean, it's <laughs> there. How bad are things in Montana since it happened, uh, since, since that case happened? And, and the, the open fields doctrine was, uh, there were limitations put on it there. Um, I think New York has limitations. Uh, I think Mississippi might have some limitations. Uh, you know, there are half a dozen states or more that have gone a slightly different direction from mm-hmm. the U.S. Supreme Court. They've interpreted their own state constitution differently. Uh, I, I haven't. I don't know. I haven't seen the substantive evidence saying uh, that this is, uh, you know, that we're seeing increases in poaching or it's making it harder for law enforcement to do their jobs. We, we um, wouldn't know now, would we, Dave? Because they can't go look anymore. Right. No, that, that's true. There could be an illegal, there could be an illegal deer hanging from every tree back there, Dave. That's the thing that, is, too, is like game wardens often like uncover a violation like on the spot. You know, it's not like something that they're, they they're, they would need a search warrant for. They need to be able to react, like, right then. Yeah. Or they're just, like, out shooting the shit with people, and they're like, eh, something's fishy here. Well, what if it is the case of something small, like fish? Yeah. Right? So it's like, pretty sure that guy's taking more than his limit. 
Yep. Got to go get a search warrant. You finally show up. There's the the scent of uh, beer batter and fry oil. <laughs> <laughs> That's but, but no, no fish gone. to be found. When he goes <laughs> when he goes in front of the judge for his search warrant, he's like, "Your Honor." I can smell that fry. <laughs> I can smell that fish fry. I know what they're doing in there. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, there's one other thing. I think it's important. There, things like migratory birds, so, you know, doves, ducks, geese, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, in places where there's migratory birds, the, an interpretation of the, of the state constitution for the open fields doctrine isn't going to impact, like, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service enforcement officer's ability to investigate uh, offenses and and uh, they would be operating under the open fields doctrine established by the United States Constitution. Hmm. Um, it, so now that doesn't get to your deer hanging in a tree thing uh, in in every tree uh, example, but for things where there's some concurrent jurisdiction over species management, like migratory birds, which are you know obviously uh, covered by the Migratory Bird Treaty Act. Uh, federal authority would this this is where it gets confusing for me and where i think it adds another layer of complexity is because now you have a state that may be making a different interpretation of the open fields doctrine pursuant to their state constitution than the than the u.s constitution and you have different law enforcement agencies operating under different jurisdictions that have that are responding to different case law so you could have an instance where a Tennessee game warden might not be able to walk into a field under this under this new uh, uh, under this new interpretation, but a U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service officer could still do so, hmm. potentially, which makes I it more I'm, confusing. I'm, yeah, I'm like reflexively a status quo guy when it comes to stuff like this. Like I don't, you know, I have spent my whole life under the knowledge that like some dude from the ATF can't just show up and want to dig through your gun cabinet to make sure that you, you haven't cut your 12 gauge shotgun barrel too short. Right. You just get used to that reality. But you know, when I was growing up and we were always breaking rules all the time, uh, we spent a lot of time on private land, really hoping a game warden didn't show up because we'd found ourselves in a compromised position right and i think that if, if from my perspective man if i'd have known that that just wasn't going to happen I, I just feel like things would have gone even a little more off the rails now and then. And, and that that's the question that you kind of come down to is we know there's not that many game wardens yeah we know there's a lot of big chunks of private property we know there's a lot of hunters and anglers out there during the seasons yeah they need to be able to be efficient with their time and the idea is effective. Like the idea of the game warden showing up is effective for people who it's give a, a crap about that, that sort of thing. And, <laughs> and if you remove that, what good analogy is it effective against the the people that were breaking laws to begin with? No. But oh, you remember we were hunting. Remember we were hunting in. Uh... South Dakota about scared the shit out of me also in that game. Oh, God. We're out, yeah, a, know, out in a farmer's the farmer's cornfield all of a sudden he's like standing there. Yeah, like tapping you on the shoulder. How's the hunting? <laughs> <laughs> and the probable cause would have been nothing. Like I heard a gunshot. Right. Yeah. He could have huh. could have seen some some birds falling out of the sky or something. Yeah, yeah that bird looked like it fell illegally. Right. Who knows? Yeah. You know what's funny about all of this is you have uh the case that started this all back in nineteen twenty. 
U.S. Spring, Oliver Wendell Holmes, great Oliver Wendell Holmes. Really? It's yeah. Who's the same judge that decided Missouri v. Holland, the Migratory Bird Treaty, upholding that? Same, same. He he wrote the opinion. It's two paragraphs. The entire open fields doctrine, and and it was really based on prohibition. I mean, that case was based on you know uh, moonshine, uh, moonshining, uh, trade, you know, illegally selling moonshine, and uh, the everything we know about the old open fields doctrine was born out of a case that is two paragraphs long, an opinion. I've never seen a U.S. Supreme Court opinion two paragraphs long. Uh, but I, I just find that fascinating. Hmm. Times were uh, simpler than day. Maybe so. And it's been, you know, <laughs> but two paragraphs. And, and we have this, this whole debate over it. And, and all of the expansion, most of at the federal level, most of the talk about open fields doctrine and, and how it's been reinterpreted and, and, or refined the, uh, how it operates it's really been around uh, illegal drug use, marijuana fields, things like that. It's, and we're talking about it in this game context. And it almost feels like in some instances, because it, I'm just thinking about what you all were talking about there just a second ago. In some ways, it feels like trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. Like where it, it, we're talking about in, in our world, the open fields doctrine applying to a public trust resource. Like how do you manage something that's owned by everybody but doesn't know any boundaries? And we're trying to apply the rules that were established for controlling illegal drug trade and uh, alcohol uh, trade during prohibition. I just find that fascinating too. We've we've worked it into that system, but the open fields doctrine wasn't born out of this idea of game wardens being able to walk into fields and check and enforce game laws. It was about stopping illegal alcohol and drug trade. Hmm. Well, I think in in Tennessee, one of the cases that that they had brought up was this was years ago was was not fishing game related it was a guy growing pot out behind his house and uh they tried to to fight the uh whatever tickets and jail time or whatever that that fellow received based off the open fields doctrine it's like it wasn't visible from an open field or, you know, it was, it was tucked away. I was like, I'm not a dumb guy growing weed. Mm-hmm. Wasn't visible from the county road. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I'm just gonna make noises like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, but it's like uh, our own Maggie Hudlow's writing an article on this right now too. And, and she and I were chatting about it yesterday and, and she's like, do you think there needs to be another law? that can like take the space of this if it goes away. Oh, I got you. And and it's like that idea of like the need for law is so hard to pin down. Like my gut reaction is no. I think what we need is people to give a shit in the first place and buy into the North American model of wildlife management, understand what biologists are saying. Um, and then we don't need a bunch of extra laws. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but some people always like to be naughty. Yeah, but they're breaking laws anyway. They don't care about the laws. Right. Doesn't yeah. matter mm-hmm. what law right, is out right, there. Right. Yeah. Right. From a European standpoint, I'm this is the only country where I've ever been asked to show a ticket, you know, or tell. Is that right? Yeah. Never anywhere else. So something's working, guys. You know, that's pretty incredible because I've been pretty lucky. I've traveled all over the world, but uh Appalachians I was fishing for trout, 
in those little mountain streams. And this guy just appeared. I shat myself, <laughs> right? And uh, he said, oh, have you got it? And I said, yeah, yeah, I've done everything. Right. And then he started feeding the fish with some like fish pellets. And I thought, well, no wonder Whoa. I'm not catching anything here. And they were huge <laughs> fish. And then another time I was uh, hunting for dove. That wasn't so sexy because I didn't have a license. Oh. I'd been out with some people. So confess, I fess up. Um, but I was with a guy and he said, oh, we'll get it sorted in the morning. We didn't. And this warden came up and said, I'm really lucky I found you. It's like I cover thousands of square miles kind of thing. And <laughs> I've got you. And I was hammered. Yeah. He gave you but a citation? No, no. He was really good. He, he, was, he saw that we were honest. He clearly didn't know who I was. But uh, he said, no, go and get your ticket and just treat this to put it down to experience. Really? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, because that's... Doves would be federal, right? No? They're migratory. Yeah. yeah. But I don't think they have federal... Damn it. They're I'm... they're a migratory bird. But they do have federal oversight. Yep. Okay. Did he chalk it up to you being uh, an unknowing European? Well, yeah, no, foreign. I was with a very new, knowing American. <laughs> right. So he, that's no excuse. We couldn't get away with that. It was a pretty entertaining trip, actually. And uh, yeah, because we, we shot a lot of doves and we sat down and we were tucking into them with all the young kids that evening and... All the all the grown ups weren't really eating them, and I thought this is a bit odd. What's going? And then they got out big fat juicy steaks. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Learned the lesson here. Yeah, That's but it was funny. good. It's good that you know you've got a system there that actually works. Uh, all right, Dave, we're gonna let you go, man. All right. Hey, I appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate you coming on and providing some clarity there. Thanks. I like it better when uh, you just really uh, oversimplify things and make it seem super alarming. <laughs> I. <laughs> that's not what I do, though. You know, <laughs> you, you, no, you I mean you. you. I mean, I like it better when one. When no, one. I mean, you, you guys are the ones that are supposed. I'm just supposed to provide the the factual legal information, and you guys are supposed to make it hyperbolic, right? That's the way. No, that's supposed. what I was trying to do. I was trying to make it hyperbolic. And I got shot down. Uh, you were trying to get me to make it hyperbolic. Yeah, I wanted you to back me up, man. I wanted, I wanted <laughs> you, uh, 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 you to have my back on the hyperbole. All right, thanks a lot, Dave. Good luck with All you. Right. Thanks, we'll Steve. Talk to you soon. I'm sure. Sounds good. Did you know Rocket Money can cancel a subscription for you? They'll even alert you when there's been an increase in a subscription price and negotiate rates for you. I can see my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with just a few taps. You wouldn't believe how many people are paying for subscriptions they don't use. This happened to me. It's annoying. This helps you find it out and get rid of it. Well, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions and monitors your spending and helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. That's rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Rocketmoney.com slash meat eater applying for tags each year in the west can be daunting y yeah i apply for everything everywhere 
is dawning. You have to go to a variety of sources to formulate your best guess as to where to apply. Well, this is a thing of the past now. Onyx just launched hunt research tools to simplify the process for all hunters. This tool helps organize the data that matters, makes comparing hunt options easy, and helps hunters develop a plan based on real metrics rather than gut feelings. Onyx Hunt also offers all elite members a free digital membership to Hunt and Fool, who I use, for boots on the ground, insight and knowledge, and a membership to Hunt Reminder so you never miss another deadline. Stop stressing over application season and apply with confidence in 2024. Check out OnX Hunt Research Tools, free for all OnX Hunt Elite members. Not an elite member? Well, let's fix that. Use code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt. This is an app I use literally every day. I use it for every aspect of hunting, scouting, trapping, you name it. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacovas is your stop before attending your next concert. Tacovas has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. And Tacovas has first wear comfort, meaning you put them on, they feel great. Little or no break in, period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, their direct consumer pricing keeps value on your feet and money in your pocket just ask my buddy chili who's been slipping around in his tacova boots talking about how great he feels in them he loves them yeah steve they're very comfortable they're very fashionable and i enjoy wearing mine around the office and anywhere i go around bozeman stop by your local tacova store have a complimentary drink and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And find your new favorite pair of boots today. Uh, okay, one more thing before we get into before we get into uh, all things all things Rob here. Um, so this May it's May second. Drop like this is right now is May second. So okay, our new book, Outdoor Kids in an Inside World, releases May third. Ships on May third. If you so there's, we have a special thing right now you can do, but you got to hustle. You got to do it right now. If you buy the book right now, if, if you're listening on May 2nd, Monday, if you buy the book right now, you can scoot on over uh, to TheMeatEater.com. So you buy the book on May 2nd. Scoot on over to TheMeatEater.com and you'll find an announcement there. will take you to a page where you can enter your purchase information. doesn't matter where you bought the damn book from. You'll enter that purchase information and you will get a free 50 page resource guide emailed to you. So we built, when we're working on the book, Brody and I built a 50, what was going to be like a 50 page appendix Mm -hmm. of resource guides about all everything you need to know about the nitty gritty stuff, the nitty gritty on outdoor kids. So the book itself, outdoor kids in an inside world covers like introductory materials, um, it covers hunting, fishing, gardening, foraging, 
um, like bringing the outdoors inside camping. at home. What's that? Camping. Camping. Okay. Covers all this stuff about like questions parents have, anxieties parents have, suggestions, stories from my own experiences raising three outdoor kids, right? Everything's in there. But we also built this this 50-page appendix, which was like gear recommendations, resources, like the nitty-gritty tips and details about stuff to go, how to help yourself on this journey of getting your kids outside, which is a pain in the ass. Yep. It's hard. This will speed things up for people that are like asking questions about how to do anything outside with kids. Um, it's like a whole damn extra book. Yeah, it's an extra book. And what we're doing is, I, yeah, what we're doing is we're giving it away, but you got to pre-order to get it. It's formatted. It's nice. Yeah. To get the thing, order the book today. Take your, it doesn't matter where you bought it, Barnes Noble, Amazon, local bookstore, whatever. You'll go in, enter your information, and you get the fee, the 50-page resource guide. Smoking deal. Yeah. And the book's phenomenal if I don't say so myself. You did pretty good on this one. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I just think it's timely yeah. and it's, it's informed by so many, the other thing is it's, it's informed by so many questions that come in here from parents of young kids all the time. Yeah. And discussions we, we lot, have all the time. A lot. Just like all the stuff, you know, it, uh, it, it, what happens, you know, like what are your thoughts on if you, for a kid to like see an animal die when they're really young? Like, how do you handle that? What about when kids don't want to eat? wild game at what age should you let them start shooting firearms when should they be able to shoot firearms without um parental guidance how to get them how to get them rigged up for fishing why are they such a pain in the ass to go camping with yeah what kind of gear to buy them what to take them hunting for when they're you know first getting into it what to fish for when they're first getting into it when they come back without their mittens what probably happened to their mittens? <laughs> you're going to go buy a new pair. That's what you're going to do. Why? Oh, the other day, my boy, Matthew, we're checking some beaver traps, and he, on the day we're setting, walks in over the top of his rubber boots. On the day we're checking, walks in over the top of his rubber boots, and I asked him, not thinking I'd get an answer, why do you keep walking in over your boots. And he said, I don't like to look down. He had a good reason. <laughs> Meaning he's not monitoring where the water is because he doesn't, he likes to apparently look more forward. Yeah. But basically you got to plan on that happening every time. The same kid also laid this on me. Uh, I was blaming something on him and he said, it's not my fault. I forgot. And I was like, no, Forgetting counts as your fault. It's like that's bucketed under fault. You know, that's not. It's not like a defense. Yeah, my you my, forgetting my, is your fault. My kid says it's not my fault. I got distracted. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, someone needs to make like a chart. It says like fault, and then it's like a family tree. But then under fault is forgot, distracted. Didn't give a shit. Like, like all the like all the reasons that you don't do what you're supposed to do. You know what I'd do if I had a pile of kids that needed to learn how to fish? Uh-huh. Please. I, you should have written a chapter. I'd buy that uh, TRCP fishing trip with Pete Alonzo. Oh. And be like, oh. Uncle, Uncle Pete's got you covered. Oh. That's a good idea. Yep. Put that in the book. That's a short book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so check that out. Outdoor Kids in an Inside World. Available everywhere. Books are sold right now. 
Go and get it. You got kids, Rob? Look at that. For, got, look at that for transition. Yeah, I've got four. Yeah. Do you really? How old? Yeah. 28, 25, 21, 14. Three girls and a boy. Yeah. One of them still live with you? No, they're all at, well, one, yeah. The others are all doing their own thing now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The oldest one was seriously into her hunting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. But she's an artist as well. So she does a lot of bronze art. So she shoots them, eats them, and then turns them into pieces of art. Well, that's wonderful. Yeah. So again, this is uh, Rob Gearing. Talk about your business first, Spartan Precision. So I set up a, I, my background's climbing. That was really my sort of big thing when I was younger because it's very difficult to get into hunting um, in the UK, and we can get into that later. But I set up Spartan Precision because of my climbing background. I wanted lightweight equipment that was modular mm-hmm. because everything I carry was on my back. So if I could make a tripod or a bipod, that would do other jobs as well, lightweight and make it well, it sort of, I thought, had a big advantage. And um, look, there was nothing genius about what we did. I was formerly in an aviation business. We bought the nose of Concorde. Oh, that kind of explains all the slick, all the slick engineering. You well, built the nose of the we Concorde. We bought serial number six, which never actually flew. Ah. It was a simulated, it, it was, it done twice the hours of every other Concorde because they checked it for cracks or damage. And we turned it into a piece of art, which is still sitting in Oxford Aerodrome somewhere, spanked a load of cash on it. So that was a huge waste, probably. But it, it made me see where I could go because we set the Concorde on an Olympus engine bearing, the Olympus being the engine that powered Concorde. And the guy that covered it up, he used two clamshells and rare earth magnets and these tiny little fucking things. I mean, dinky. Uh, and they had like 16 kilo, what, 30 pounds of pull on them. And I said, shit, man, can you make me a bipod that sticks on my rifle with one of those? <laughs> and that was the end of my genius, right? <laughs> so I can't really take more credit than that. But, uh, oh, but that thing, though, sticks. Yeah, I yeah, love yeah. those things. Yeah. 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 Oh. It's just, kind of amazing. Like, when you hold it up there to that little socket, it's like, I was anti-bipod on my rifle till I started using that thing, man. Well, yeah, because I used to, in the old days, we do use those. uh, Who's the kind? They were like the first ones out and had all the springs. Big metal things. Oh, yeah. yeah. You'd be going through some alder choke hellhole and just like that thing's like (laughs) grabbing Dragging it through there and it always comes out with leaves and and stuff. Adds a couple pounds to your rifle. hanging off Oh, exactly. And mentally, when you're like a gajillion miles into your walk, you're kind of thinking of the things that you could just leave on the trail. Yeah. Yeah. So I used to take a lot of people hunting and I had one of those Harris bipods on my rifle, but I got, it's a great tool, you know, Absolutely. I'm not knocking it, but it, it's just. Once you set to shooting, it's Yeah, nice. once, yeah. You, but the springs can make noise and all sorts of things. I just didn't like the clutter underneath oh, yeah, the real yeah. estate. So I took a Swedish client in to shoot a roebuck once. I'd taken the bipod off and he wasn't comfortable making the shot. And I'm not the type of people that, the per, person that's pushing people to make a shot. And I said, look, if you're not comfortable, mate. Skip it. Well, well, that's not my approach. Yeah. I was going to yeah. say, what Steve, have you ever said that? Yeah. What I do is I say, what exactly is the problem? Shoot, 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 shoot now. Anyway, that's, that was really the birthplace. So it was, it, was a, it was a sort of mix of climbing and hunting and all of those things that, and a bit of aviation sort of behind it that really was the birthplace of Spartan. And I gave up a very lucrative business in aviation, sort of got divorced from my dear old business partner, which was far more ugly than getting divorced from my wife. But that's another story. Um, and then got in a little boat and started paddling hard. And that was, we're in our ninth year now. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Nearly sunk a few times on the way, but we've just managed to keep our noses above water. And 
This is where it's at, though, guys. You know, we're in the worst bloody country to be making shooting stuff by a country mile. You know, it's just crazy. Explain yeah. that, because that gets... Well, first, tell people how to find... How to find... Uh, you guys are really well, active on social you can, media. You can, you can, they can buy them from you guys. Yeah. Spartan yeah. Precision yeah. Equipment. Yeah. Spartan Precision yeah. Equipment. Yeah. But I was uh, default to Javelin, which is yeah. the original bipod. bipod yeah. And now there's a family of bipods and a family of tripods, yeah. and they're all modular. It's a bit like Lego for the hunter. You know, you build what you need. We're not dictating. I mean, I'm not in love with tripods. We make tripods, but you can run them as bipods, quad systems, pent systems. I'm not saying I'm going to go to the fucking woods with a pent system, but I'm going to go to the woods on probably two legs. And 90% of the work I would do in the UK, I'd hunt on two legs all the time because short distances and it's quick. And we're managing deer. We're not... As in standing up. Standing shots. Standing yeah. And most of it, 90% of what we're, I'm going to be doing in the UK is going to be standing work anyway. Yeah, it's woodland, and we're after fallow and roebuck, roe deer, really. And the whole ethos of what we're doing is to try and shoot as many as we possibly can because, and we've lost the race already. I mean, there's just too many of them. It's gone crazy over there. Hmm. Yeah. I'm going to set it up like the way that annoys, I'm going to set it up in a way that annoys people with exposure to Europe. Right. It would be this. We talk about Daniel Boone all the time. Let's take Dan. We're going to talk about Robin Hood and Daniel Boone. Okay. Daniel Boone's ancestors came from England. They almost certainly were not hunters. Okay. Uh, when Daniel Boone got, when his family came to America, you know, they, they, they wound up in Pennsylvania and Boone started becoming a big time hunter. And what it was is he could just kind of roam around willy nilly out in the woods hunting deer. Um, this is prior to how deer management in the U.S. was like codified into the law, but there was just this expectation that deer that were out on the open land, out on the unclaimed lands, were free for the taking. There's no regulatory structure in place, but you could own a firearm and go out and hunt deer on open, unclaimed lands, out on the frontier, okay? This stood in stark composition to what many Americans refer to as the European model in which deer are owned by the landowners. The king's deer. The king's deer. Most of the deer are live on large private estates. The landed gentry who controls and owns these estates sets the agenda for deer management. Um, and you get into the, to understand this, you get into like the myth of Robin Hood, right? Where he would go out and hunt, Okay and shoot the king's deer in order to feed the poor. And his him doing this was a capital offense, meaning you, you used to be that, you know, you could, there's a rich history of this stuff, and you just go look all over and find books about it and stuff that uh, land managers used to be able to actually set a type of leg hold trap meant to catch a man, okay? And you would set these out to catch poachers. You could get uh, the death penalty for poaching. You could have an eye gouged out, a hand cut off for shooting the king's rabbits. All right, it was like wildlife was a was the property of the wealthy. Exactly right. Well, okay. Yeah. Then why do, here's the thing. Why does everybody get so pissed? And it's not, it's not Europeans that get pissed. It's Americans who go hunt in Europe. That spend a lot of time in Europe. They get all bent out of shape. Yeah. yeah. And they're like, you don't know, you're old, what's the word? Pont, 
bloviating? What? Oh, yeah, yeah. We you do that get one that one here and there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's... This, <laughs> I, I live on Ashdown Forest, right? Ashdown Forest is the old private hunting ground of Henry VIII, and you can still see the perimeters in places. It's a 27-mile walled private hunting ground with a ditch dug all the way around and a pale fence shaped in so wildlife could run in and couldn't get out. And then there's little villages around it called hatches, which are the old entrances onto the forest. And what you said is exactly right. The people that lived on those forests couldn't hunt anything. They weren't allowed to. And if they got caught, it was a pretty, yeah, wasn't going to be, wasn't going to end well. Um, we don't have public land. We have public land, but no public land that you can hunt on. So if you're little Jimmy living in the middle of London, there's no bloody chance in a million years you're going to get the opportunity to play like we do. It just doesn't happen. So what you get is you get people like me, lucky bastards, that are no <laughs> landowners, that want, have a deer problem. They go, Rob, come and help me manage the deer. Or you get stinking wealthy people, big landowners that manage it. So what's happened in essence in the UK is um, hunting is an elitist game. You know, it's, it's absolute abstract elitism. You're not going to get into it unless you're channeled through the directions I've said. The only other way is if you become a professional hunter. So we have colleges, we've got three of them in the UK, where you can become a gamekeeper, deer stalker, or whatever. And they're pretty intense courses. And that's a formal degree? A formal degree, college trained, formal, you come out with a qualification. I wouldn't say it's like going to university per se, it's you go to college and you spend three years doing it, either in fisheries, deer management, bird management, whatever. So they come out pretty well qualified and they come out pretty knowledgeable in their subject matters for sure. But most people in the UK, they spend thousands of hours in their back garden shooting air guns, 12 foot pound air guns, and they don't progress beyond that. Right. Now, they spank a lot of money on these air guns because they never get the opportunity to go out and hunt. Now, these air guns, they're 12 foot pounds. You'd be lucky if you killed a bloody squirrel with one. Mm -hmm. So it's... You've got over here, from a European or UK perspective, a huge playground, right, which is absolutely awesome in every regard. I'm sure it's got its issues. I'm sure it's got its problems. But from a European perspective, it's pretty epic what you've got going on. So I, I want to get into I want to get into the gun law thing for for uh, for a minute. Yeah. But I, I want to ask another question uh, prior to that. Another difference, and and again. We're talking right now, like we're talking with someone from the UK. We're talking about the UK. So this is this is installment one of the Euro report. Right. And in all honesty, the people that get riled up about our typification of Europe never cite the UK as an example of where we're wrong. They talk about other places. Yeah. But I, you know, again, lumping them all together. Now, so try not to do that. So focusing on the UK, one thing though. I could walk into a butcher shop in the UK and see ducks oh. with shotgun pellet holes in them. 100%. Explain that. So it's, the, it's completely different. So in the UK, you have professional hunters, right, managing deer, shooting a lot of deer, right? All of that venison or whether it's birds or whatever can go straight back into the food chain. So unlike you guys, we're allowed to sell it to game dealers, who then in turn will send it, sell it to restaurants, pubs, etc. Because the landowner owns it. Yeah, yeah. And the restaurant, there's a restaurant in London called Rules. Look that one up. I think 1776, oldest restaurant in London. 
That's it. That's it weird that they gone. started it right when we started whooping you guys' ass. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> like, well. Needed a place to commiserate. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> but uh, no, game, game is frequently eaten uh, in the UK and sold. And is, re- it, is it pretty popular with people? I mean, presumably it has to be like wild shot ducks are popular with people who would never shoot a duck. Well, the problem is we're probably 20 years ahead of the game in a bad way from where you lads are. That's what I would say. So when I was growing up, if I took a rabbit or a duck round to my neighbours, she'd go, oh, thanks, oh, thanks very much. I'm going to have that. If you did it now, they'd go, what the fuck are you doing? Oh. You know? Yeah, we've gone. We've lost it. And you could blame supermarkets. You could blame the British Broadcasting Corporation for that. We could talk, have a whole subject matter on the BBC. Um, but Tell so, me more. Well, it's a public corporation. We pay for it as a taxpayer. Um, my father was editor of Radio Times many years ago, and BBC used to be a brilliant corporation. Now it's a tiny little minority sort of dictating rules and regs or trying to steer us in a certain direction that I frankly really disgust me. Oh, like it's over-politicized. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah, completely biased. I mean, they employ people that are openly biased. And I said, I spend my life writing to them and saying, I pay for this as a public corporation. Please, guys, can we have some unbiased information, some impartial information? And it's... I'm. Pissing in the wind, you know. Oh no, no, those. You know, I'll tell you, man. I don't pay for it, but I hear those guys, and sometimes they get me a little pissed. Oh, yeah. I mean, we get like anti-hunting articles in the media and and things like that. But there is an enormous anti-hunting. Yeah, over there, it's like mainstream media anti-hunting. It's enormous, and frankly, ninety percent of the population probably don't give a screw either way. Right? They just don't care. But the BBC and other entities have decided that hunting's not for us. And again, you know, I sort of get it because so many it's easy to hate something you don't get a chance to play at. Oh. So I've taken vegans out. I've taken vegetarians out. I love it because I like to enter into a debate and say, well, come out hunting with me for a day and then go and spend a day on a fucking chicken farm. And then you tell me what's, what's worse, right? Now, we all know as hunters, it doesn't always end well and mistakes happen. We have to live with that. But would I rather be a fallow deer? On Ashdown Forest or a chicken just about to be spanked out to KFC. I know what I'd rather take my chances at. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so. Uh, guns. Guns. How, what does it take? Let's say you had, let's say here you are and somehow you, your neighbor says, um, here, here's the situation. You're, you're you. Yeah. Your neighbor says, oh, uh, Rob, just so happens I got a pretty sizable chunk of land. If you want to go out there and, and shoot a few deer, have at it. Um, and he says, thing is, I don't, I don't have any guns. I don't know. You have to figure that end out. So what do you do? That bit's easy. That bit probably is easier for us than it is for you. So I've got an open, what you call an open license. How's so it easier than it is? We go, down to the, we go down to the hardware store and buy a gun. Oh, Walmart. no, no. You, I've got a gun. So you're telling me they no, no, want no, no, me no. to sh- Right, misunderstood You don't. I'm sorry. Right. When I said you, it probably threw you yeah. off because you were yeah. thinking about yeah. you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, little Jimmy. Little Jimmy. <laughs> in London. <laughs> little Jimmy in London. Little have... Jimmy in London. He he winds up that his second cousin's neighbor, whatever, says, if little Jimmy is so interested in reading books about hunters and whatnot, he ought to come out and get a deer. So little Jimmy is in for a tough ride, right? <laughs> a long, tough ride if he really wants to do that. And let's say also that despite his name, little Jimmy is 18. <laughs> right. And little Jimmy's 18. Well, now he can legally fire a full bore. I think as a kid, you're not even legally allowed to unless it's under 
certain protocol. Um, it's it's absolutely driven to not provide you a firearm. Can you explain There's, full bore real quick? Full bore, like uh, like anything like a three hundred eight, two two three or something. Not a rim fire. Got it. There's different high powered rim, rifle. Yeah, high powered rifle. We'd call it. But little Jimmy has got a, basically, if he's in London, he's I'm almost certainly not going to get a firearms certificate for deer hunting anyway because the London authorities hate firearms, full stop. It'll be a huge challenge. He's got to have the land approval, as you say. If he's got a patch of land, then they're going to want him to go and do a level one and level two deer stalking course. That's pretty major. You know, that's probably six months of hard study to get it really? done. Really? That's not like yeah. taking that yeah. online but hunter <laughs> safety course? Should you shoot someone? Yeah. Uh, uh-uh. <laughs> right. No, it's pretty intense. And the, and the thing is, getting a firearms like, look, there's 70 plus 70 million people in the UK, of which I'm gonna, I might be slightly out, but it's, I think it's 155,000 firearms license holders, right? Of that 155,000, I would imagine less than a third are actually out in the woods hunting. Most of them would be rain, using a busy range in places like that. But you need so, to have a reason. You've got to have a reason. You've got to have a reason to own a firearm. It's really, really challenging. You know, I see you guys and I look at that with green-eyed envy and think, it's so cool what you can do over here, right? But again, I'm getting back to the fact it's why people hate hunting. We're not allowing anybody to partake in what we're doing unless you've got a spank load of cash. So they all spend thousands of quid on a fucking air gun in their back garden, plinking tin cans that would hardly kill a squirrel. And they spend a lot of money on that. There'd be hundreds of thousands of people in the UK with air guns, which in not in Scotland it's different, but in the UK you don't need a firearms license if it's under 12 foot pounds. What kind of air guns are they using? Oh, um, there's a low, there's BSA, there's... Um, there's a Swedish company that makes some pretty cool stuff, but they spend a fortune. They're not on. shooting gammos. Uh, yeah, they have some gammos yeah. as well, but a lot of people will spend a lot of money on that because they can't get a firearms license. And Me- what, like, have you? I'm just. This is a digression, but at at with the, with these souped up air guns. Like at 50 uh, meters, what's a good group? No, no, but they're not souped up. We're not allowed oh. to have a souped up. If you have a souped up air gun, then you're going to go down the firearms channel. So if your air gun really? is over 12 foot pounds, which is going to give you, let me guess him, at 650 feet per second for a 2.2 and 750 for a 1.7, oh. you know, you are running out of steam pretty goddamn quick. You're not going to get Yeah, my kid has a Gamble air gun now that's 1,300 muzzle blasts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're they're Dude, legal to yeah. use for a big game and You got to get geared here. up to cock that thing, man. Yeah. He's got to, like, stand up. Yeah. But, I mean, it's powerful. Yeah. No, we don't have, we do have those, but again, you fall into the full ball firearms thing. So it's, and huh. me personally, I sort of couldn't be asked with it. So I just moved into climbing instead and then later got into hunting because I knew channels I could get into. So do you have the permits now? I've got permits, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've done a lot of hunting in the UK, let's say deer management, but that's because I knew the right people and slid under the doorway, slipped in there and uh, never exited. So you, do you have firearms in your possession at home? Yeah, yeah, I do. I'm allowed to, but I'm a rarity. Right. I'm not talking shotguns. Shotguns are a completely different thing because everybody's into clay pigeon shooting, so there'll be a lot of people with shotguns. But full bore rifles. Oh, okay. Go on, then I got that. Yeah. Remember this question when you get around. Go on. Can they shoot slugs out of the shotguns? No, not anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Banned. We can't hunt with bows. We can't shoot slugs with a shotgun. Can't hunt with a bow. No, no, we're not allowed to hunt with bows. Yeah. 
because yeah. they're Why deemed not? inefficient or uh, what, what, I, like, there's something uh, there's something this is a rabbit hole that I might not be educated to answer but I think there's something in the 80s there was an old law Correct me if I'm wrong. Well, how the some... hell did Robin Hood? Oh. No, no, hang on. This, is, <laughs> this, this, this was a medieval law that somebody could shoot a drunken Scotsman in Wales or something with a U-bow made in, the U- uh, made in a certain place. And I think somebody actually tried it, right? But they got him because his U-bow was made in Spain. Oh. Made the right place. You'll have to look that up, but it's just, yeah. But anyway, Devil's bows in are, the details. Yeah, bow, bows, <laughs> bows are bad. Yeah, get Scots. Dave Wilms on about that one. <laughs> yeah, bring him up, he let's might just, know. Let's but, just say. <laughs> but it's, yeah, it, it's bow, we're very limited to what we have. I think at its best, it's very good in the UK. I will defend that when it's well run and well managed. I think it's extremely good. Huh, what is uh, the deer hunting and how we how we go about it. Yep. My challenge, my personal challenge is so many people don't get the opportunity to do it. And I think that's pretty rare. Are they even aware of the opportunity? No, I don't. Because it's not promoted hard. And we don't have a single entity that's really promoting hunting, to my mind, in a very good way. There's lots of different entities all too busy taking chunks out of each other rather than thinking what's the common goal here. So I guess how often, this would be a good way to kind of sum it up, would be like, how often have you spoken with people who are like, oh, I wanted to get into hunting, but I couldn't figure out how? Uh, that would happen quite a lot, but not as much as you might imagine because it's so off base. It's so, they don't live in Montana. They don't live in a place where there's a big landmass and they can see the opportunities. So it's not really promoted well. I think there would be a lot of people that would want to get into it, certainly Deer management and deer, deer hunting in the UK has grown a lot in the last few years. There's oh. a lot more people getting into it. But it needs the dollar, you know, and that's the only way, really. The, the history of bird shooting oh. over there is unreal. I mean, yeah. the amount of uh, pheasants raised in the UK. Hundreds of thousands, hundreds of thousands. And again, that's a real rich man's sport. You know, that's... It's, yeah. And that's, that's going to change. I think you'll see that die in the next 10 years. Because of yeah. what? Because governments and controls and anti-shooting, anti-hunting entities. Well, bring me back in 10 years. I'd be amazed if they're still doing big bird days. You'll get away with the walked up days, I'm sure, but they're really hitting the grouse shooters in Scotland very like hard. Like the driven shoots. Yeah, the driven shoots. Coming yeah. after them on what, on what grounds? <sighs> You tell me. I don't know. They, it's, immoral. It's, like it's yeah. immoral. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we banned fox hunting. They still drag a skin or whatever and things. It's just it's just those that haven't got like to destroy what they're not able to do. Do you like anything about the UK? <laughs> well, I'm here. I've been here since the 5th of bloody January. Does that answer your question? <laughs> yeah. Other than the short, quick escape down to Patagonia, which is like Montana 50 years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm not, I'm not a great, I like people, don't get me wrong, this is going to sound, come, come, but as, as I got older, I just want to be with the right people and I'm very happy under my own skin. I think when I do spend time back in the UK, most of it's north of the border and I spend a lot of time up in Scotland because it's just quieter up there. Got it. Yeah, so in answer to your question, Steve, no, probably not. <laughs> There's better places, yeah. Can we jump so, back to the meat for a second? Yeah. Am I reading this right where it says you don't get to, like you go out and shoot a deer. Yeah. You don't get to keep oh, the no, meat you're not, for yourself. So, so if I shoot 50 deer a year, right, that that carcass is not mine. That carcass goes straight back to the estate and that meat is sold and that's how they make their money. So there's no cutting off a 
backstrap and I might get given a few testicles now and again. (laughs) Are you serious? (laughs) No, I'm joking. But they they don't just like if you go if you do a cold deer. I mean, they got to give you one just for doing. Oh, they will give me one if I want. If I want venison, I'm not going to starve out. But the rules are that venison goes in the larder. Right, that's done, and that's off to the off to the restaurant, off to the game dealers. I mean, we get a lot of Swedes come over because the thing about the UK is you're going to shoot a lot of animals. You know, we had we had eight Swedes come over a couple of years back pre-COVID, and there was four of us, and I think we shot 120 deer in two days. That's a lot of work. They're That's not elk size; they're fallow size, so they're sort of big labs kind of thing. But. And that's that's worth a lot of thou- that's worth many thousands. So got it. They, and plus the crops. There's a lot of crops down in the south, and if you've got 140 deer in your crop, well, it's it's gone, isn't it? Yeah. What's that word you guys use for uh, when you got something from the diaphragm? Corallic. Growl. Yeah. Growlic. Yeah. So you, as the hunter, you're doing that, yeah, right? Yeah, you, you do. Got it. So, from the diaphragm. So again, back. completely different to what you lads do, right? We'll leave everything in the skin. We we'll take out all the green. Right, we might take leave out the what? All the green, all the gut, intestines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The diaphragm back. Yeah, yeah. Um, we might leave the heart and the other organs in, depending on where you are, or we'll take them out. Um, they get hung in the skin. They get put in the chiller in the skin, and then they go off to the game dealers that way. Yeah. Can we walk back to let's say let's say little Jimmy, who's not so little, yeah, wants to pursue obtaining a firearm, yeah. And he goes through that six-month course. Yeah. And he's obtained the firearm. It's his second cousin's neighbor. So we know that he has no, a purpose a and more, he has a even place. even more removed than that, let's just say. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, what does he have to do in order to end up actually hunting on a, it, on a range? So, so basically, he'll be apprenticed to somebody. Even after the deer, he's done the exams and things. How does he find an apprentice? So that's the challenge. When there's only 155,000 firearms license holders and probably less than a third doing it, there's an infinite number of people that are queuing up to get that opportunity that will never get that opportunity. I find that pretty sad. I remember you told me earlier, though, if you um, – so can you – are there estates where you can – you know, there's a whole kind of package deal oh. of staying there and hunting. Well, or can you can you find someone who's like a recent graduate from one of these deer management programs? Like, what would this person actually do if they were just completely determined to end up being a, able to hunt? A little bit of both, right? So if you show real determination, and like when I, I got out of hunting for a while and got into the climbing because of that frustration, and then I managed, I found a local estate, Caldre Estate down in the south, and basically, they were looking for some helpers. So I would help take uh, punters out, clients out, you know, and we would cull the females, right? We wouldn't shoot the bucks or anything like that. But I spent years doing that kind of thing, sort of building up. But it's it's a challenge. It's a really difficult uh, thing to get into because there isn't any public land. So you have to either go through that first channel you said, which is incredibly expensive. I can... You could arrange to go hunting tomorrow in the UK if money's not an issue. But it's the same with our fly fishing. You know, you're going to spank a lot of money and maybe it's going to cost you a thousand bucks for a day. You know, that kind of figure. You could get less, but it's, it's going to be that and up, really. Or you just grub around, find some gamekeepers, help the gamekeepers for a year or two, and then they might say, well, come and shoot a deer. That's it. 
And what is the what is the regulatory structure like? Forget all the stuff about getting a firearm, having access. Like, what's the regulatory structure? Could give, give me an like give me the you guys. I know you guys don't do acreage, but express for me the land uh, uh, like a, a large estate or a medium estate, whatever. How, how much ground are we talking about? You, uh, so the estates don't tend to be big because there isn't a large land mass. A reasonable estate would might be three thousand acres. Okay. Pretty big. But I mean, the one for my deer management, I might be shooting in somebody's back garden. You know, they might have a deer issue, right? And you could be looking at less than an acre and Mrs. Miggins' roses are being eaten by the, by the row. So you've got to go and help Mrs. Miggins. That's where an open license comes in handy. So an open license is you're determining whether it's safe to shoot. So unlike, I think over here, you you have to be so far from a building before you can take a shot, do you? No. It, 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 in it, a lot, this in state does, cases, This state yeah. doesn't have that. Phone Dave. <laughs> yeah. No, I... So, this, state doesn't have a spe- this state doesn't have a specific distance from buildings. Right. But yeah. you'd get into... You'd get into questions of like what might be like you know criminal negligence or something like that, but there's not like some states are very specific with if you're going to shoot within 450 feet of an occupied dwelling, you have to have written permission from um, the, the owner of the structure, right? right? But this state doesn't. Yeah. This state in particular doesn't have that, but there's sort of an understanding of what's okay and not okay. Got you. So so in the UK, it's very different, you know, because there's such a short amount of land you might have deer mucking around in a tiny area and you've got to manage that problem so that's probably one thing that we can do um, but it's really challenging and it's not going to get any easier and the, the whole thing the reason i'm pleased to be here is you don't want to be following what's happening in the uk it's just not sexy right i mean we don't want to go on that path. no no it's 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 not sexy at all and it's going to get worse and i can see a day where you know they just they'll have professional deer hunters managing deer and the public won't even be allowed to do it. In actual fact, in Scotland, you might want to look this up, Corinne, I think somebody's just got a contract to manage 50,000 red deer, right, in, that, in the Highlands. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a native species. We've got six species of deer, um, arguably seven, but six species of deer in the UK, three of which are native or considered native and the others are non-native. Name, One, name the native ones. So the native ones are red, um, fallow, and row. Fallow aren't truly native. They were brought over by the Normans or the Romans. Nobody knows, but they've been long enough, so they've got the native flag now. Yeah. Um, and then the others are Asian imports. Yeah. So I, I want to touch on the regulatory structure real quick. And, and just for, for this case, let's go to a, there's a 3,000 acre estate. Yeah. Um, do they. Does the government set down like a season in which they can be hunted, or like any kind of any kind of rules about how far they can push the coal? No, there's a seat. You're right. The seat. There are seasons for all the species, other than muntjac, because the muntjac are non-native and they're normally pregnant within three days of getting birth, so they're considered a pest. All the other deer have a strict um, period of time in which you're allowed to shoot them. If you have a real problem with numbers, you can get extensions. Did you say a muntjac gets bred within three days? That's of... normally, they're normally pregnant within three days of giving birth. Yeah. Cow, man. Cow. That, would, that wouldn't fly. Yeah. That's disgusting. I don't think you're thinking about the muntjac, Steve. Yeah. It's good for oh. the muntjac. That's unbelievable. It's, yeah. Yeah, they are crazy little things. They're very They're odd. They're cool. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. They, they have a roar or a bark yeah, or something? Yeah, they bark. They call them the barking deer. They say, 
you might think you've got a dog kicking off. They got they got little fangs, little tusks, yeah, yeah, little, little fangy tusks. things that are yeah. slightly move about a bit, and they fight. They're pretty aggressive, so they've got very thick uh, fat and fur around their necks. I, you, we grew up just considering them absolute pests because they eat all the flora and fauna. But the continentals love coming over and hunting them. They're quite challenging to hunt because they never stop. They're always on the move. So you've got to be pretty quick on them. Taste bloody good, mind you. Is that right? Oh, yeah. They're you small. Like, like what, what, tiny. What, what, tiny. Like, like 20 pounds? pounds? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, no, but we, I mean, we've, we've talked about it because it it's an intriguing animal because it's got so much character. Yeah. You know? uh, who do you refer to as continentals? Like everybody that's <laughs> not in the UK. Okay, thank you. <laughs> but what yeah. would we be? We're not continentals. No, no, you're Americans. Yanks. Yeah. yeah. So, all right, back to this regulatory structure thing. This 3,000-acre estate. Yeah. It's got all three native species. Yeah. Let's just focus on the native species. So they'll say there is a season. Yeah. Not determined by the landowner. No, not determined, but that's a government-controlled thing. Yeah. And does the government have biologists that will do a survey and say, like, you boys can shoot X deer on this property? It, to an extent, but nothing like you guys do. Yeah, there, there will be some professional biologists that will enter into debates on how we manage those populations, okay. but nothing even close to what you guys do. But I've, you never, I've never in the UK been asked to show a firearms license. I've never run into... I mean, you think of all the hunting, right? It's crazy. It's crazy how different it is. But you put a lot of money back in. You've got those hunting licenses, those tags. It, a lot of it goes back into protecting what you've got. I think that's fantastic. With us, it's different because the private landowner can spend that money that he's made from the venison and the selling the hunting on whatever he bloody well likes. It's his cash. Got it. What are, what are the seasons like? Long? Yeah, we there's if you came over to the UK, there's always something you can hunt. Or well, you got the munchak for a start, but the seasons are pretty long. Then compared to what you guys have got, like it's you know, you might have a few weeks, ours will be months. Would you be able to take us hunting there? Oh, absolutely. If you wanted to have a crack at that. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Are you And uh... the thing is I could get you this is the crazy thing. You land at Heathrow or Gatwick, you could be hunting within an hour of getting off, you know, once you're out that airport. It's so, and people, that freaks people out. You know, I take people hunting on this land that you can see the middle of London. <laughs> and then, you know, I think, oh, it's crazy. But that's what you have to do with small land masses. But yeah, yeah, it's easy. Are, are you required to use a suppressor? Not required, but um, they're easier to get than they are over here, I believe. I mean, we did it in a different channel because they're professional hunters. We're all deaf because we're shooting so much. Right. So you're shooting like 50, 100 deer a year. You're, you're out in the woods a lot. So we got said, fuck this. We, can we please get old and hear a bit? So that's how we got the moderators, the suppressors, silencers or whatever you want to call them. So very rarely. They're just very, they're way more popular. Oh, over there it, than it, here. I can't think of a guy that I go hunting with that doesn't have a suppressor. Yeah. Yeah. Make I imagine in those uh, like when you're shooting on small properties. Yeah. Well, you I grew you up probably without... don't want the neighbors hearing yeah, exactly. great big booms going off. Exactly. Here. And I grew up without suppressors. We all grew up not using them. And so the guys are like the next generation on for me, they'll come fucking here for fuck their death. So if you were uh, licensed, fully licensed, open firearms licensed, um, and you lacked a place to go hunt, you just find that online and, you and could, pay? Yeah, you could find it online. You could pay. There's normally people, when you're at that level, there's normally people with deer problems 
and we're quite a rarity. So you'd normally find people that want you to help out. Um, yeah, it's a tiny, tiny sector in a huge population that's doing it. So you'll get a call occasionally from someone who's got them attacking the rose bushes? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly and what And then happens. what's the steps you have to take? Uh, I just need to deem the, the area safe to shoot, and then I can go out and manage that problem, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, just jumping back, Ashdown Forest is a perfect example. We're talking about this private hunting estate. It's only recently they allowed deer management on that forest. The way they manage deer populations on Ashdown Forest, road traffic accidents. Huge numbers of road traffic accidents. And because the conservators decided hunting was cruel or not right, they wouldn't allow anybody. That's 6,000 acres of deer just going out of control, spiralling out of control that nobody can manage. In the last few years, they've changed that. And I think they've got like half a dozen professional deer stalkers in, deer hunters in there now. Are you in there? uh, I could be. I'm not. I know the lads that do it. Yeah, I do, I'm not there because I'm never fucking at home. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, the, the amount of time I'm behind a trigger these days, it's all, I'm almost retired from it because I'm too busy selling the virtues of Spartan. The single most valuable tool I have for chasing turkeys next to my scatter gun is the Onyx Hunt app. If I'm hunting turkeys, I'm using Onyx. If I'm not hunting turkeys, I'm using Onyx. I'm always using Onyx. I live by that stuff. I can't tell you the number of birds this app has put me on by allowing me to easily find new areas to hunt. It's invaluable. I use it all the time. Even properties I know super well. And I'm at my buddy Bubbly Doug's house. I'm using Onyx, and I've hunted this place a million times. With their compass mode, I can pinpoint exactly on the map where a gobble rang out from and then figure out the perfect spot to set up. Meaning, if I'm sitting there, let's say I'm at Bubbly Doug's, and I'm in the navel, and I hear, pow, I'll like instinctively pull up Bubbly Doug's place on on X and I'll look at the topography and I'll be like, oh, that sucker must be over in that little opening over there. Waypoints also, and the ability to share them, okay, comes in handy every spring. Whether that's revisiting old waypoints where I've been on birds before or sharing them to buddies to help put them on birds. This app will help you find more turkeys. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you too. Use code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt this turkey season. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots and Tacovas is your stop before attending your next concert. Tacovas has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. And Tacovas has first wear comfort, meaning you put them on, they feel great. Little or no break-in, period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, their direct-to-consumer pricing keeps value on your feet and money in your pocket. Just ask my buddy Chili who's been slipping around in his Tacova boots talking about how great he feels in them. He loves them. Yeah, Steve, they're very comfortable. They're very fashionable, and I enjoy wearing mine around the office and anywhere I go around Bozeman. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. This show is brought to you in part by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around 
different stressors. Big ones, little ones. When you keep these things bottled up, it can start to affect you in a very negative way. Well, therapy is a great space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Like, figure it out. That means figure it out with someone who's impartial, who's able to sit down and hear what you have to say and think it through with you. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Listen, there's no there's no such thing. It's like, you're not so tough. You're not so tough that it doesn't do you some good to talk to somebody now and then about what's on your mind, okay? Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Meat Eater today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Meat Eater. Uh, I want to go back to that, that call you get from someone in that case, like some, you have a small property owner yeah, and they have a deer problem. Yeah. Uh, you still have to go by the seasons, like whatever the seasons are. Absolutely. And then what do you need to do? Do you need to, does a biologist or someone need to confirm that there's a problem or are you able to determine there's a problem? No, we determine there's a problem, right? If, if Mrs. Miggins roses are being eaten and she's pissed off with the deer doing it she can phone me and say look gearing get over here and help me out with these deer can you can you take a few out for me please and then she can eat them she can eat them she might not want to eat them but you can sell them i can sell them i can eat it myself i can do anything i like with that yeah what's that stuff like uh ballpark street market yeah, oh. street value, street, wild r- venison, commercial value, wild, or what? Wild venison's expensive, eh? And you, you sell it on the hook, not on the hoof, but you sell it carcass weight. Carcass weight. So you'll sell it at the moment. The game dealers are almost a bit of a cartel. Sorry, guys, probably not going <laughs> to hate me for that, but I think they all know each other. They set the price at the beginning of the season. So red deer, you might get, you might get a pound, a pound. So that's like a dollar fifty or dollar sixty for a pound of meat on the hoof. Oh, yeah. for a pound? No, that's on the hoof. That's that's carcass weight, right? A buck fifty per pound carcass yeah. weight. But it should. But when it gets into the if in in the supermarkets and restaurants, if it's wild venison, it'll be like twelve quid for a pound. Uh, you guys like. always talk about that, but I don't know what that means. What's twenty dollars. Let's say let's say eighteen. Twenty dollars yeah, a pound. Huge money. Which would yeah. be like. Uh, Pretty comparable to a Prime. finished finished beef. Perfect. Right now. Yeah. yeah. Good well, enough. hey, were you glad to get out of the EU or no? Um, I actually voted to get out, but for a different reason for many <laughs> others. And it wasn't. It it was basically. I was just fed up. They never signed their tax returns off. Who? The EU. They've never. You know, there's loads of money that's gone off into the ether. A million bottles of champagne. I go fuck you. We can't even manage our own government. You know, I think it's great that we're united. I just don't think we've grown up enough for it yet. Sorry, guys. Yeah. Um, hmm. I, my missus hates me because she, Magalie, she's French. And she's, you bastard. <laughs> so she had to do a load of extra paperwork <laughs> to stay in the country. So sorry, Magalie, about that one. Yeah. When you, That's your wife. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. With those market prices, I, I bet you don't get invited places if you're a poor shot. If you're hitting no, a lot of and meat. we won't invite people that are poor shots. So, so like those Scandinavians that come over and manage the deer with us, I'd say they're better shots than we are. They better, don't, they don't screw up. Yeah, they're very, very. Oh, they, of course, they screw up, but they're on it. 
you know, if you say the protocol is this or it's all headshotting, headshots today, lads. Which is that pretty prevalent, headshots, I would now think. Now it's mostly head shooting, which slows your numbers down. Uh, sure. I mean, but your your accuracy has to go up. So Where in the head? Just at the back of the nut. Yeah. Okay. Around the neck. But I, I mean, I historically, I'd comfortably shoot three or four deer in front of me. I can't do it head shooting. You know, I'll get one and I'm sort of... And the other thing is, I want to make sure it's down and it stays down because I've knocked a few out in a time where you think... I, I, it's, Which a is funny, not pleasant. it's a funny story. I mean, when I first made the bipod, I was with an old Scottish guy who was my mentor, really. He was like a second dad to me. And I popped a bipod down, shot this roebuck in the... In the field. And oh, what, do you, what, what noise do you guys make for shooting? Like Latvians go, blouch. This is, Ptoom. yeah. That's what you guys yeah, say? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I don't know. That's what I do. But anyway, Ptoom, this. You guys don't go, bang. I, I shot this roebuck, dropped like a sack of spuds, shot the other one. And then uh, he said, Gearing, get back up. And just got up and run off. You know, over, to just, Miss, over to Mrs. Miggins' place. Not, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and stayed at Mrs. Miggins' place. Yeah. <laughs> I love Mrs. Yeah. Miggins. Probably still at Mrs. Miggins' place. Yeah. Yeah. No. It's a crazy difference to what you guys have got. So anybody out there that thinks America isn't cool when it comes to hunting, just it could be a lot worse. That's all right. That's Come on, who the, thinks that? Well, I don't know, but I mean, people could say if they happen yeah, to if be. they happen to be. I think it's such a great opportunity that you can get anybody and say, I can go out and I'm pointing at wonderful scenery and pictures with a rifle. To me, is pretty epic. What's your advice to Americans? St- hang on to what you got. Like hang, guard the gate. Yeah, guard the gate. Hang on to what you got. I mean, this is it's 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 a fantastic thing. I think old uh, Mr. Roosevelt did a good job for you lads many years back, and uh, yeah, I, I think it's I admire admire what you have over here. I think it's I've done three public land hunts. I mean, I'd never get this in the UK. I came in, and you what do you call it? The passport control officers, I guess they're police, aren't they? He said he said. When you're coming in from another country. U.S. Customs. Yeah, U.S. Customs. He said, what are you here for? And I said, I'm going to come and hunt elk and I'm going to spend some money uh, hunting. And he shook my hand and he said, good on you. I really wish you. That would never happen in the U.K. Hmm. That would nobody go, what are you on about? Yeah. So I've had two of those sort of interesting discussions with the customs officers. And I think it's brilliant. Can I ask you another uh, way off subject question? Yeah. Do you... uh I don't like the thing when I look at you guys' country. The thing that just baffles me the most, man, is um, are you into the royal family? No, <laughs> no, you're not a member of the royal family. No, I'm not. Okay. Well, we're all probably blood relatives <laughs> if you go back far enough. They've done a bit of shagging in their time, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I can't. But yeah. you don't like pay attention to all the like I'm who not, did what, you know what? mad at who. I've given up just listening to news. I listen to Al Jazeera, get my facts, and switch off again. And I, I'm really not. I'm not. Against them, I think they bring a lot of money into the system. But I just oh, think, that, I thought they cost money. Oh, they cost a fortune, but they also bring a lot. A lot of you guys want to come over and sit outside Buckingham Palace and spank some cash. <laughs> Steve <laughs> talks about it all the time. I've done that before. So yeah. it's not, yeah. it's not so like they, a total. It's not like a total money loss. No, no, no. I think the Queen actually. I've got a lot of time for. That. I, could, I think she's a good old bird. I think oh, she's huh. done. She's done her bit. But I, the rest of it. But you don't I, wake up in the morning dying to know which of those guys is mad at who. And, I don't even. Oh, okay. I don't even pay any attention. Now my life has been fly fishing, climbing in a big way, and hunting. And Did you, just, when you got into climbing, were you climbing internationally? Yeah, uh, I, of spent, yeah I spent. I spent. I started rock climbing because I couldn't get into hunting in a way I wanted to. So it took me all over the world. And I, I used to climb with a guy called Simon Yates a lot. Um, 
they did a film on him called Touching the Void. That is not oh, a Bourne yeah. film. Yeah. Right, that is a climbing film. <laughs> yeah, I know that movie. Yeah, and he's famous because he pinged his mate off. Um, but he's he's an interesting guy. Yeah, Cut so him I've, loose. Yeah, yeah. The, well, he took the, his Swiss ping arm. Ping the mate yeah. off translation. For took you. a Swiss army knife and cut the fucking rope. Yeah. Oh. And then didn't go and check to see if his mate was alive. And i completely with him on it. I mean, you've got to put yourself in that environment to judge it. If you're sitting on the sofa judging somebody in that kind of environment, I think it's wrong. But he's a, he's a pretty cool guy. So I've done a lot of climbing with him in the past. Greenland, Himalaya, um, Patagonia. Yeah. And I'd done a bit in the States and such like, but I'm too old for it now. And my missus says, stick with the fly fishing and the hunting. And How yeah, old are you? 58. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Man. I've got a few years left you in me. Great. Well, here's the thing, yeah. dude. I'm, in, I'm real interested in how old people are now yeah. because if sitting where I'm at, that I could have another decade and still be doing what you're doing, I'm, that's, I'm, that's inspiring. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. And I've, you know, I've got a wonderful team at Spartan. There's the queen of Spartan. She, she's an Olympic clay pigeon shot. Super cool. And I said, Hannah, the ship's fucking yours, right? I'm just going to want to go and play and enjoy the journey because I won't see the end game. I will be expensive to run, right? And that's what I said. And that's and they've done a brilliant job. Yeah. How many how many employees you guys got? They're tiny. We're twelve people. Yeah, yeah. It's really small. And really, we're in the wrong country. We need to be in the USA, and we'll get. Is that there. hard? It's. Oh, we did a business plan about it. I said I'm too fucking old to tick all those boxes. Yeah, I would love a green card. Can you get me a green card? Oh, I'll try. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, it's just it's no. I love what you've got. I could I could see myself settling here in a tiny little cabin. On some public land, I would really be happy about that. If an American company bought Spartan, does that give you a green card? Oh uh, yeah, I guess I guess that would be part of the uh, part of the part of the deal making process. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's, it's good fun. Yeah. And then we get to shoot some muntjac. Yeah, you got to shoot some yeah. muntjac. You need to get to Ireland as well. I know. Yeah, I know. Exactly. Oh, that's Cal, Cal used to drive around the book about Ireland. He's he's Irish. Yeah, I know that. And he's yeah. got. We've got a really good mate over there that's. Probably in on that. Will O'Mara. Yeah. Uh, and I've spoken, it's been a while since I've yeah. spoken with him, but he's got a sweet set yeah. of, he manages some some hunting ground over there. And then he also hunts grouse uh, on the on the cliffs above the sea. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Not the huh. cliffs of Dover. No. He's, no, a, he's a super cool lad. I don't know where, those, I don't know where, where are the Cliffs of Dover? <laughs> oh, they're, they're south of me. Yeah. Oh, okay. People go and chuck themselves off them all the time because oh, they can't the, go hunting. Did you, ever, <laughs> did you ever read that? There's a great essay called yeah. Legends of the Fall, right? and it's a, it's, a, it's a long piece of reporting about people who've jumped off the cliffs to commit suicide. Yeah. But it gets into this guy, you probably heard the story, jumps off and lands on a ledge. And then what he went through to stay alive and survive and survived. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Once he hit that ledge, yeah. he was like, change my mind. Change yeah. his mind, man. <laughs> Sometimes we just need Yeah. It was like Jimmy Stewart, right? And uh, it's a wonderful life, but without the angel letting him see that town, you know, with all that Mr. Potter and all yeah, that. Yeah. I mean, another code. Yeah. I, yeah. I, we got to jump back to this guard the gate thing. Go on. I would bet that you're going to find yourself in a situation where there's 150,000 people amongst 70 million with firearms licenses if all you worry about is guarding the gate. I understand. I think it is just going to be increasingly so defensive and minoritized to think in the way of 
just guard what we have. Mm, I disagree. Uh, I'm, Proactivity. I'm, you're talking I'm, about yeah. here, Cal. I, I'm, yeah, I'm, absolutely. Dude, I'm using a language losing, in a different people way. People are lo- like yeah. literally y- losing their rights every day. And there's all kinds of examples of Amer- hunting in America like leaning towards the European model. Like Absolutely, absolutely. But what I'm saying is is all, if all we care the about British model. Not, is <laughs> the British is model. this idea of um fuck you defend what we have. And I'm not uh, saying I'm not we're not losing our things. Like this this the picture that it paints for me is like Nobody ever won anything by being behind the gate. I'm using the language in, the in a different way, though. Free. I mean, by guarding well, the gate. I, no, I, I used it. You didn't yeah. use it. Well, guarding the gate, then, my meaning to that is open the doors, guys, and let everybody have an opportunity to hunt, right? Make it popular. Do what you're doing, right? Promote it. People watch your program in the UK that aren't hunters, right? And they love it. And they're going, oh, I'd like to have a crack at that. So do what protectionism is what we're doing in the UK. It's not, it doesn't work. I'm here to prove that. But opening the doorway and say, anybody, Mrs. Miggins, little Jimmy, can go hunting, that's brilliant. Keep it up. Well, yeah, and Mrs. Miggins is then going to be a proponent of the situation if you're out there being proactive and handle it well. Take the Danish idea. So in Denmark, there's been a guy I know, he said 10 years ago, if he went into Copenhagen with a camo jacket on, he'd have almost got spat on. Now he goes into Denmark, he'll get five or six people wanting to buy him a beer. And a beer in Denmark is a lot of money, guys. Um, and half of them will want to come and learn how to hunt. And it's Is he months. a hunter? He's a hunter. Will he do this show about Denmark? Yeah, yeah, I could link you in with him. Pay attention, Corinne. Yeah. And he's, he's, <laughs> it's women that want to eat good food. They don't want hormone in They don't want, people are fed up with eating crap. So suddenly venison or wild game is becoming hugely in Denmark yeah and and the UK lesser so but there are more and more women getting into hunting in the UK as well you know I'm sort of a Danish film expert sorry <laughs> I'm a Danish film expert uh, are you yeah big Mads Mikkelsen fan yeah. I like Mads Mikkelsen oh, Pusher 1, 2 and three. Like my yeah. favorite movies are he's Pusher so 1, good. 2 and 3 what was that one he did surviving in the Arctic that was a good movie just yeah. like last couple of years yeah. he was in the 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 new one where they uh, stay drunk all the time. Yep. Oh, another yeah. round. Mm-hmm. Another that, round. There that's very go. Viking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, man. I, I thought about quitting my job and going to get like a PhD in Danish cinema. There's another one he's in where there's like no words and he just walks around killing people with an axe. Valhalla Rising. Yeah. That's a good one. That's a great one. Listen, man, if I had to, listen, if you came to me right now and if like God came to me right now with a gun and he's like, you got to pick. American films or Danish films? Oh, no, I like without that stuff. A, without a doubt, I would pick Danish films. Yep. Without a doubt. Uh, Cal, I totally disagree with what you're saying. I would like to hear why. You never said why. Because every year uh, people lose This isn't a reason why, but go ahead. In America, in this 50 states, every year there is a reduction in people's hunting rights in this country. Uh, you just, we just saw it right now. The most recent glaring example is Washington losing their rights to hunt bears in the spring. Okay. Prior to that, they lost their rights to hunt mountain lions with dogs. They lost their trapping privileges. Okay. You see it everywhere all the time. Arizona, they will not 
stop. Every couple years, there's another thing to ban cat hunting. Maine, banning certain bear hunting practices. Okay, nobody's arguing this, but go ahead. So I feel that it is essential to fight for maintaining traditional use practices around hunting and fishing. A way to say that in shorthand would be, and I didn't come up with the term, I don't know who did, would be that it is necessary to guard the gate. Now, that doesn't mean that that's the only thing one should do with their time. You should be doing a half dozen different things. I would say you should be guarding the gate and guarding the habitat. I get where Cal's coming from because I think this comes back to kind of what we talked about with Nugent, with whack them and stack them. It's just, it's, it's language. There's nothing to do with whack them and stack them. I know, but I'm saying it's language that sounds maybe more aggressive and fu- than, than what is like, in- what the main intent is, I guess. Like guarding the gate sounds like, fuck you, you're not getting in. We're going to fight for what we've always had, which I think d- is definitely necessary and has so its it, place. So the, the, the semantics thing. Yeah, yeah. Cal wasn't attacking the semantics. Okay. I have a question. Yes, sir. Right. So does anybody around this table taken somebody hunting that has had a shitty time? They might be emotionally bored. I have Steve's never. Steve's taken me on a couple of <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen to me, man. I want to tell you something. I have, I've taken plenty of people hunting who didn't go hunting again. Yeah. I have never, ever taken someone hunting who wished they hadn't gone. Yeah. Ever. So we took a vegetarian that was on our boat cooking for us in Greenland, who um, was a journalist and very open, but she was a vegan, then became, now she's back to meat. And, I, and she'd never been hunting. And I said, come with us. So she did. And she had an epic time. And I love taking people out. And it really enriches them, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, it really, and I think we've got nothing to hide and we've got everything to promote. Um, and if it's all done right, fucking brilliant. Bring it on. Just, that's gatekeeping, I get it. I think if you sort that's of box yourself nothing down. Nothing to hide. No, no. But nothing to hide and just say, open the doors. And that's what you guys, from my perspective, I don't know all the rules and regs over here, far from it. I'm no expert. But that's what you do so wonderfully well. Just keep on promoting it. COVID, kids locked away for two fucking years. You know, what damage has that done? Get them out. Get them with the rifles. Go and hunt a turkey. I think it's brilliant because that's what we cannot do without jumping through huge numbers of hoops. And as I say, 20 years time, if you don't promote it well, you could be in the same place we are oh, now, yeah. which is pretty bloody The garden sad. the gate thing, like, like when I look at my son just started hunting, you know, he's 10. When I look 30 years out, I could easily see there being way less opportunities for him to hunt if we don't guard the gate. Yeah. I had a person... He was guarding with, the gate is not enough. Listen, okay. Who if said, I, who if said we this? could, if Kel, we could sign, if I, if I said it's very important that I protect my kids from being abducted, you'd be like, that is not parenting. That's only part of parenting. I'd be like, correct. Um, no idea what you're talking things, about right now. Among all the other things I do as a parent, I try to prevent them from being abducted. Let's talk about <laughs> Washington's uh, failure to maintain spring bear hunting. Yeah, let's let's okay. So if you waved a pan and said, oh, okay, we got spring bear hunting. Okay. Is that going to somehow prevent the attack on spring bear hunting next year? No. No. You got to win it every time. It's not winning it every time. Like, that's not going to help. You know what Colorado... What we want to do is be proactive enough to where these people go, oh, holy shit, there's no point in attacking spring bear hunting. But that is... That's that's, that's, that's that's guarding guarding the gate. That's guarding the gate. I think guarding the gate and saying... God, we just got to hold on to what's ours is just 
not is just a short-sighted, too easy way of of saying this. It does not because because the battle it doesn't motivate me. The battle is short-sighted. The, the battle isn't. It's not a long game anymore. It's one battle at a time. It's like it's a very short game. They just lost it right now. It's a very short game. It, there's not time right now to go change the global perspective of hunting in order to save. Ba- You're not going to like rosy up hunting when enough. When we to, the, look the, the, at the people the in amount, Seattle, the people in Seattle are later going to be like, "Oh, I feel kind of bad about this whole thing." Somebody do this. Let's give them somebody their go bear look at bag. the amount of anti-hunting legislation proposed every year, mm-hmm. and then look at the amount of pro-hunting legislation proposed every year. Okay. And I think that is going to be a very important metric to what I'm talking about. Sitting back and letting other people dictate how we think and move because it's we don't have any time. We got to be protective, protective, protective right now. Don't have any time. We're going to let all these other people dictate how we think about our hunting and fishing because we're on the defense all the time is not going to win. Cows like the Chinese. They play the really, really long, long game. Question. doing well. My daddy's telling me that uh, his favorite Chinese proverb, you have to tell me if if he was right or wrong. I'm not uh, sure I'll know. Many hands. From an old Italian man. (laughs) 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 Many hands make light work. Question. I think I've heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you hear it from your Chinese relatives or uh, the Americans? Not, Rob's got a question. Sure. Rob's got a question. <laughs> so just from my, from the Brits' perspective, why have they banned the bear hunting? Uh, basically, the argument was we don't know enough about bears. The population studies aren't complete. And that was how the Washington Game Commission kind of like came to a a null vote on the bear issue. And that's is not there what substance they're, that's, to no, that? No, that's not what they were talking about. That is not what they were talking about. That was what they used to get right. a thing that they had already yeah. determined they wanted. So this is BBC stuff, propaganda again then. Would sure. You, you know what they're doing yeah. in California right now? Here's how they're trying to end bear hunting in California right yeah. now. They're trying to say, we've seen increased forest fires. Until we better understand what these increased forest fires might mean for bear populations, we better stop hunting them. And you'll have some people be like, oh, that makes, yeah. Because you know what their sense, you know what is in their head already? So this Why the hell are they killing bears? This is an emotional thing. This is people not liking the idea so. of and people you have hunting to find, bears. Yeah. We have this ongoing debate here. We have this ongoing debate in the Northern Rockies is, is like, what about, have have grizzly bears recovered to the point where they could be state managed and potentially hunted? No one argues. No one argues. Have grizzly bears been recovered? What they argue is, but have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? So originally it was like, have you thought about what would happen if cutthroat trout collapsed? So don't don't do that until you can prove me that. Yeah. Oh, okay, here's what that would look like. And in 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 fact. Only like 9% of bears for a couple weeks out of the year, access cutthroat trout things. Okay, tell me this one. Tell me this one. What if white bark pine blister rust was to be worse than it is now? Answer that for me. Then you go and be like, okay, what we're looking at, you see like 10% survival rates. So over time, it'd be this. And then this, okay, okay. Never mind that one then. Tell me this, right? It's never, they're never questioning the actual question. So there's no science, really. This is emotion. No, it's all science. It's all it's all science, but it's Subjective. all like what, it's it's like you take a thing you know you want to happen. Yeah. You don't want people in Washington hunting bears in the spring. Yeah. How do I do that? I can't just say I don't want them to do it. I have to go say, hmm. Let me think. I got it. 
I don't like your science. Mm. Yeah. So no the real issue says, in so, Washington is you have a, a governor that is not supportive. Right. And they've appointed game commissioners that oppose each other. And basically it stalled out the process yeah. in a way that did not favor bear hunting in the state. So surely uh, one one string to the bow here would be to better educate people on the pros of bear hunting. Yeah, and and we just went over you know, one of the game commissioners. Yeah, and I think education is always going to be a huge part of this. That's a great part of Garden the Gate. Yeah, and that's where I think we all come together. What did we say earlier? What was at the top of the umbrella earlier? And under oh, fault. And under fault is like forgot, distracted. <laughs> okay, guard the gate. Under guard the gate. It's a big umbrella. Legislation, education, PR. Okay, and you can take one. You can pick one of those spots, but you're guarding the gate, Cal. Isn't that what you, you guys... You like it because it sounds so pugnacious. Oh, I think it just sounds weak. I'm a small man behind a gate. Don't cross this gate. You know, I want to be on the other side of the gate where all the people are and yeah. telling them this is why we do things. Okay. If this it's is a, how it's done. If it's a branding issue, let me ask you this. <laughs> if it's a branding issue, because I know that you, that you, that I know that you're supportive of hunting rights. If it's a branding issue, brand it better for me. Like what you would call, if you had to make a rallying cry, not around defending the environment, which I think is very important, not around defending habitat, which I think is very important, okay? But this part of the issue, this portion of the issue, how would you brand it? I, I think it's branded under being a hunter. What about the health of a hunter? The health of hunting? You know, is, that, is that offensive to you? The health of hunting? Why would that be offensive to me, Stephen? Because guarding the gate's offensive to you. You don't well, like the I sound. I think guarding, of it. yeah. I, I don't know why of... you would like the the sound of it. It's like a prepper mentality. You got to call it. <laughs> I'm going to dig my hole over here. Yeah. You got to call it something. Well, you the know? health of promote, and, it, and it's what people call it. It does yeah. sound. It. it does sound prepper. Listen, man. I think clickbait is great. Like people are going to click on that, but I don't think it is the thing that's going to solve our issues. Right, it's like I disagree because it does though. It does though. <laughs> How, when they tried to when they tried to ban bear? when they tried to ban bear hunt, like right, the last time they tried to ban all cat hunting in Arizona, they beat it. The last time they tried to ban all bear hunting in Maine, they beat it. They beat it. They guarded the gate. Whatever you want to call it. Yeah, you got to call it something. It's like all the things you do under that umbrella. Like, Listen, dude, we're look at win. Look we at are going to win. Look at Maga. when people go. Oh, a hunter. That means all of this other stuff, and oh, by the way, they kill stuff to eat it. But they're the ones that are the ones that are uh, pro-clean water. They're pro-wildlife. They're pro-habitat. So you're talking like more of a hunting is conservation thing. Cal is I'm talking a about road, being a well-rounded road. human being. I think most sure. people would be pro-hunting if they better understood it. And that's, that's 100% challenge. true. Well, I should say 100%. Challenge. That's like yeah. 90%. It, it's just, it's easy to dislike something you don't know about. It's easy to have a little snippet of information and, to, and I'm guilty of it. You know, I, I've listened a little bit on your podcast or something. I think, oh, I'm suddenly an expert. I haven't heard the whole story. And so many, it's human nature to judge on the knowledge you know. If we do a better job at selling the virtues of what we do, which is pretty cool, I think 
that's the way to win this. I don't think that that will make – it's like – here's the thing. I'm just going to say – I'm going to do that thing where I just say – my wife likes this when I do this. I'm just going to keep saying the same thing over and over again in different ways. A hunter and outdoors and whatever, there's a lot of things you need to be doing. There's a lot of things you need to be doing. One of them is you need to be active in defending your rights as a hunter. You need to, it's like, that's a pillar or what do you call it? Like, like the, that's a plank in the platform, a plank in the platform. I would say throw the word pro in there. You need to be proactive. Pro. Oh, okay. You and can't active. wait for an email to show up and be like, oh God, I got to okay, that be proactive. And, and that's something like we didn't need to do when we were 14. That's not true. We should have been doing it. We well, should the have. First, yeah. The first big sweep. Yeah, absolutely right. The first big sweep. Of of trapping bands hit in 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 around ninety one and ninety two. Right. It was I, like the minute Colorado had more people in Denver and Fort Collins was like the tripping point. Yeah, I'm saying like in the eighties, this was not like we just weren't aware that it would need to be a thing. No, right? and it became a thing. Yeah. It became a thing. And now it's like part of hunting. It's very much a part of hunting that you need to do these things and if, if you want to be a hunter. Because every year there's a thing. Every year there's a thing. There's I don't, I, I get, I understand, like, I feel that Cal is making an aesthetic argument. I don't think he's making a substantive argument. It's aesthetics. Well, I don't think you can, uh, I don't think it means that you somehow dismiss the threats to hunting by saying, I don't like guard the gate. Correct. Right? So, but it sounds like it. I, I don't understand how it does. Because uh, it just does. <laughs> because, because you've embraced it. That's why it does. I get it. Cal saying I don't not just give, defense. Cal, I don't care about, I could, I could live my whole life. I want to promote a, proactivity. I could live my whole life and is be, and be whatever level of effective I am right now. I could be as effective for my whole life and never use the three words, guard the gate. I don't need those words. Okay. In fact, it was Sounds a bleed. like you really like them. It was, no, I don't. I, cause it, cause it didn't, it didn't convince you. And you're one of the, you're one of the people I look to to like you want to look people I look to to frame my opinions so it didn't work on you now it's making me question the slogan all right but in America in the political world whatever we find slogans like we know what a neocon is we know what MAGA means right it's like there's ways of capturing there's ways of capturing a pattern of thought what a paleocon. Like I say, like that individual's a paleocon. You're like, okay, I kind of got it. I could fill in the blanks about that person's belief system. Um it 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 is a it's a term for a portion of our responsibility. I don't think if you're if you're an environmentalist or a conservationist, pro-habitat, whatever, I don't think that that then gives you cover to turn a blind eye to people losing hunting rights that are sustainable practices. I've had this conversation with multiple leaders of conservation groups and they'll tell you, Oh, we don't want to get involved in method to take arguments. I'm like, then you're not serving your, you're not serving your constituent. You can't pick and choose. You have to be involved in method to take fights. You can't act like you're representing hunters and anglers, but you won't get involved in a method to take argument. 
because you want to stay above the fray and not piss off some potential donor who thinks hunting's okay, but all forms of it are kind of mean. But I like the general idea of it. Like you can't do that. that yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. All right. Thanks for joining, Rob. Well, I just, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, I think having Rob on is the is the perfect no, this thing. Is, this is a great conversation. conversation right? Right. I, would, I would blame where we are today on two things. One, supermarkets. People buy meat in packets now. And they don't even consider it as a living thing. I'm guilty of it. And the other thing is too many bloody documentaries on nature showing the pretty side and not the ugly side. You know... Show us an elephant starving out. Show us a lion getting killed by young lions. We don't see that oh, kind you gotta, of stuff. Oh, you, 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 don't, you don't go to nature as metal? I haven't watched <laughs> I'm probably guilty of that fact I don't watch enough TV, but I haven't been able to find those programs. No, just go to nature yeah. as metal on Instagram. Yeah. Oh, my, my current, like, giant looming evil yeah. is fake meat. Yeah. Like, I think fake oh. meat is going to lead to exactly what you're yeah. talking about, right? Yeah. It's like meat comes from the supermarket. Yeah. Well, now meat comes from a lab. Yeah. I have a hard time getting riled up about fake meat. I wouldn't even. This yeah, but, is this is why you should oh, right please. here, right? Because I, I I feel like I should, but I can't. You're taking, <laughs> you're taking the agriculture, which, okay, we have 640 million acres of what we consider to be public lands in the United States, right? We have over 950. 50 million acres of land dedicated to agricultural use in the United States. What happens to that land that's dedicated to agricultural use for all the, you know, supposed evils of, let's say, like the beef industry, if that's not where beef comes from anymore? Turns to a desert. Yeah. yeah. Or worse, Single crop. a shitload of condos, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? And, and that is the thing. Like, that is like the tipping point for me of where... All these open spaces where whether you think they're in production or not because they don't have a golf course or a condo on them are actually out there doing the best job they can in cleaning our water, cleaning our air, and, you know, providing some open space, for God's sake. Uh, what's per, what's right. perverse cow. about the fake meats thing is that they'll then say, a cow requires X amount of acres da, 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 in the American West. Like, yeah, but that acreage isn't just hosting that cow. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hosting all the mechanisms of life yeah. for, for our food production, right? Like open range. Sure. Yeah. Pollinators. Well, in the end, we're just going to be boring amoebas that just live here and do nothing. Right. I don't fancy that. I like to go out hunting. I like to go climbing. I like to go fishing. I like to see all these fantastic places. And do you know what? I don't want to eat fake meat. Because 20 years down the line, do we know what it's going to do to us? We don't have a clue, do we? There's yeah, a lot but I don't shit. care. Like, here's the thing, man, about that. I don't dip, but I don't, it's not, it doesn't bother me when people dip. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't, uh, there's all kinds of things I don't engage in. And I don't care if other people engage in yeah. it. Like, I don't, like, a dude eating, a dude eating lab meat. I, like I said, I just can't find it in me to be offended or nervous. Because I'm like, I don't care if the whole world ate lab meat. Yeah. I'd eat deer meat. Yeah. That's, that's well, meat that's, raised in a lab, yeah. cultured in a lab, not Labrador retriever meat. <laughs> that's probably what Brody eats. Everybody, <laughs> my mouth was watering. Uh, Brody doesn't eat anything but Labrador meat. Yeah. Send him a mean email. Yeah. <laughs> that joke's run its course. I'm over it. <laughs> Thanks for joining, Rob. No, pleasure. Really enjoyed it. Where to next for you? So I'm down to Australia in a couple of weeks and then hopefully Tasmania for a few days. I've never been to Tasmania. I've got to try it. Just picked up a new Scott rod. It's got to go. 
So it'd uh, be rude not to, wouldn't it? It mm-hmm. would. It yeah. would. You know, they got some islands out there where the Tasmanian devils have uh, HIV. Yeah, yeah. They're not doing very well. <laughs> no, no, right, no, they're really in a bad way. Yeah. yeah. What? It's a, it's a yeah. yeah. There's there we got there's yeah. It's a wild world out yeah. there. Uh, uh, real quick. Uh, first, you're serious. Yeah. Yes. Like, yeah. How how did the what was the transition pathway? Oh, I have no idea. There's a really. They're trying to save the Tasmanian devil. At one point, they put a, a colony of them on to some islands um, and some sexually transmitted diseases got into that population. And I, I, yeah, I want to say one of them was HIV. Yeah, are they HIV. Not, are they not, well, it's not the pretty. Well, all the got chlamydia, right? Yeah, and chlamydia is a deal for, uh, for the Tasmanian devils too. That was filled. It was a little Phil joke. <laughs> what? <laughs> koalas and chlamydia. I said all the ko- there's a thing. Yeah. Like koalas are riddled with chlamydia right now. It's mm-hmm. hard on them. And I was saying that was Phil. That was just a Phil joke. Yeah. And, and I mean, so d- Phil. Domestic what? sheep get chlamydia was, yeah. all the time. So yeah, it was just a bad joke. Uh, yeah, not <laughs> following. Oh, oh, oh. It's too My dark, Phil. This. Ignore it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stupid. Yeah. Phil, cut that. Are you saying that I uh, w- w- was hanging out with koalas and yeah, things was, happened? Can you either cut it out or make <laughs> like, can, you, can you make yeah. the joke, could, think of a different joke and put it in there? I think that's good British humor. There's a lot of Brits that would really find that funny. That was one of the worst <laughs> jokes, stupidest jokes I ever made. Yeah, I agree. I regret it. Okay. What can I say? Tell people how to go buy a, what, what's the, like, tell, like, if you had to pick, like, one asset, one thing that would be, like, this captures, um... Spartan bipods. You'd be like, I would have them see my. I actually am more sort of. I, I really like a little tripod unit. No, no, no. I mean, I mean, oh, not that. I mean, like, oh, what would they go look oh, at? Oh, so, so it's a weight issue. So really, stupidly light, right? Very, very strong. You clip them on when you need them, and you take them off when you don't. For me, that's that bit of real estate under the rifle. You use a bipod, what? So infrequently, mm. why do we keep it on the rifle? Yeah, I carry mine in my yeah. back pocket. Yeah, but the little the receiver, the receiver screws into the 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 sling swivel stud and becomes a sling. And provides stud. a sling yeah. swivel. You don't really know it's there, and then you can just stick the thing in your yeah. on your waist belt. Or I always sometimes just carry it around my back pocket. Yeah. They're easy to use. They're then, just they're they're really an excuse of why wouldn't you take a bipod? That's what we've done because as a mountain hunter or whatever, I probably wouldn't have taken one many years ago, but that. Now, because it's so light and it's there, I can. The other thing that the bipod does that many don't do well is there's a lot of canton rotation, so you can follow a target and you can can because the ground ain't fucking even, is it up there? You know, it's very unstable, and so to be able to lob your bi- rifle on, get a stable shot. I mean, we get shitloads of people come back and said, oh, "I've just done this and done this. It's brilliant." Yeah, you know, I think we're doing something right. We can always do it better. We're not perfect, far from it, but we try bloody hard, and we're not arrogant. We listen. How, so, how long do you think I've had one of these? Well, you've been one of the first. Long guys. time. Yeah, it's got to be five years, isn't it? Five or six years, I would say. And I will still, the, the magnet on that original bipod is so strong that even though I've had a lot of experience with them, I catch myself thinking like, oh, did they add like a lock into yeah, this thing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. If, it, if, it, if it ever malfunctions on you, it's because you got, you picked up a metal burr from somewhere. Yeah. 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 You, you do come to realize burr. there's a lot of, yeah. uh, there's a mag- lot of magnetism in the earth. Exactly. Exactly. And we do a military version with a locking system. I mean, they're coming out. There's lots of stuff we're doing, but that's not my bag. So, yeah. Uh, one more question for you. Go on. 
for our next Euro report, like I don't, I want to go, uh, you know how when you tighten your lug nuts? Yeah. You don't just go around in a circle. Yeah. Right? You do, yeah. You go like up, yeah. up diagonal or whatever. So imagine we're doing Europe like you're tightening lug nuts. Yeah. I don't want to go just to the next lug nut. What, what country should we do? I'd probably pick an Eastern European country or go right in the middle and do France. That'd be crazy. Yeah, yeah but that's like your neighbor. Yeah. But, but are they real different? They are totally different to okay, what we France. do. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be great. But you've got, every country will give you a different flavor. You know, it's, it's, they're so, so different. I want to do Finland, man. Finland would be brilliant. We've got some good Finnish buddies. Do a lot of work with Sacco and Ticker, and there's some good, they're serious lads over there. Yeah. And, uh, Spain, like the Ibex stuff, that'd yeah. be cool. Yeah. What, what and country? you can hunt with a bow in Spain. Oh, I can't mm. wait to do Italy because that's my homeland. What yeah. country would be the closest thing to the U.S.? Probably, or is that even uh, a fair no, question? It, it's, it's probably not a brilliant question. Um, it, I, uh-huh. would, I would say, because <laughs> there isn't, there isn't. But no, I tell you no, this, I know what he's, Denmark I know what has some public land. Right, there are a few countries that have a little bit of public land. That's probably the only similarities there. Yeah, and there's clubs in places like Sweden. So you become a moose. You join your moose hunting club. I mean, I've seen old boys in there like they must be knocking on the door ninety, and they don't want to give up their place. So they're carrying these huge packs into the middle of nowhere for their their annual moose event. You know, so yeah, it's. I want to see moose get run with dogs. Yeah, they do a lot of that over there. I believe so. Looks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it looks hmm. awesome. Yeah. It's just, uh, the Arctic is a great place. Great place. You Cape Cayley hunting, that would be a cool thing to oh, do. Oh, me and Yanni are trying yeah. to work that out right yeah. now. We've got, got a real itch for that, man. There's a guy called Ulf Linthroth, I think, Link, you, he's super cool. If I could do, that's that's the one, when people are like, what's the one big thing? Well, you like, hunt them. Out of the country, that's what I want to do. You, you hunt them out of trees yeah. using a barking bird dog, and you're shooting a full bore rifle into a tree. I mean, that's pretty freaky for me. I wouldn't do that in the UK because I'm likely to end up going into Tunbridge Wells. Hitting Mrs. What's her name? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Mrs. Miggins won't be happy. But, um, but up there, there's nobody. And that's what they've been doing for years. And it's super exciting. It's like deer hunting for a bird. I am not above, uh, yeah. You know, when in Rome, right? Yeah. I'm not above shooting a bird out yeah. of a tree with some people yeah. that shoot birds out of trees. Yeah, no, no, yeah. it's brilliant. It's really, it's, you do it, you put a lot of miles in for very few shots, but it's a really epic place to go. Sounds yeah. great. And then with the old male birds, they taste like shite when they're cooked. So we just do tartar and, and they're lovely. Ooh, yeah. awesome. Yeah. Hold on. Yeah. yeah. Oh, they're no good cooked. No, they, they, well, they, some people might like them, but they're really good raw. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I found out that, that kind of surprised me is, um, Ptarmigan are so much better raw. Yeah. I got I got all the grouse keepers in Scotland last year eating grouse raw. And they said, fuck off, we're not fucking doing that. And then after a little while, I said, come on, just try it. And they, I did like 11 of them over a few weeks. They're lovely. They really are. I wouldn't yeah. cook grouse again. Awesome. You know yeah. that that uh, dish, um, I may have made it in a long while, but like like Chinese hot pot. Yeah. Szechuan hot. What do you, mm. what do you call it, Korean? Where you like... You got the broth and the stuff in it, and, and you just like, take raw meat and dip it. Yeah, yeah. It's like a hot pot. Doing yeah. that for ptarmigan. Yeah. They're like cooked, but not really cooked. Mm. Oh, it's good. So Mongolians much better than when you do cook that, them. don't they? What's that? The Mongols do that, I don't, don't know. they? Yeah, I think so. Whenever I have a question about anything over that neck of the woods, I just ask Corinne. Yeah. That's the way. Try to answer. Not always right. All right. Thanks for coming on, man. Pleasure. It's a great Euro report.
Telling you what, Decked is a game changer. Decked has completely changed how I load, organize my truck. All my stuff that I want is always in there, out of my way, and secure. It's perfect. If you own a pickup truck that you use, you know, like a truck, the Decked drawer system gives you weatherproof storage for all your gear. You can lock it up, too. You keep your tools and gear organized, job site or out in the field. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. Go to deck.com slash meat eater. Get yourself some free shipping. Sport Dog is the most recognized brand in the hunting dog training industry. The Sport Dog promise to consumers is simple. Gear the way you'd design it. Every product Sport Dog builds is meticulously designed and rigorously tested in the field, ensuring it withstands the toughest conditions you and your dog may encounter. I've used that Sport Dog collar in different temperatures. It just doesn't stop working. Get 20% off your first purchase using code Meat Eater. So go to www.sportdog.com slash meat eater to learn more. 